Now, Ben, just before we get started, um, <laughs> because people don't actually get to see us when we record the podcast, I just want them to know that the music that we're playing right now is how you normally enter the studio every week, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. And it is a sight to behold, but not this week because you're not here. Yeah, but I'm glad you're still you're still playing it in my honour. And yeah. it's, it's playing in my head constantly, so... It's because I miss you. <laughs> yeah. I, I appreciated you doing it at your end anyway, because I saw you. I saw you mosey on. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, it's like uh, you know Pavlov. It's not. Is it uh, Pavlov's dog? Like that music starts playing and you start salivating. <laughs> Mate, I'm salivating anyway, and you'll find out in a moment why. But tomorrow's Halloween, Ben. Um, you were supposed Woo! to be here, and I prepared all of these treats for you. I'm very upset by the sheer amount of bananas in that bowl that I do not get to partake in. There is a lot of candy in here, and there lies the Pavlov's drool, right? <laughs> I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to trick or treat on. I'm gonna have to come past and trick or treat on Tuesday. Yeah, if only um, they were still there next week, because I guarantee they won't be. <laughs> How about instead we just dedicate this entire show to Halloween? That sound good. Sounds good. Happy Halloween, everybody! Thank you for dropping by. My name is Glenn Cochran. And the other guy who doesn't have time to be here but makes time to be here is Ben Helwig. (laughs) (laughs) And this is, of course, Good Movie Monday. We are the weekly podcast dedicated to nerdy cinematic ramblings. Our website is goodmoviemonday.com. Please go there and um, have a look at it. And there's links to all of our social media pages and all of that stuff. You can like, comment, share. In fact, if you let us know where you listen to us from, like what platform you're on, or even where in the world you are, we would appreciate that. That'd be great to know. So whether it's Newsly, Spotify, iTunes, there's loads of places. Let us know. Join the conversation, I say. We've actually had an uptake in uh, some listeners on our um, show in the last few weeks, particularly on Facebook, which is great. So there's going to be newbies. Did any of them Did any of them comment where they're from, like we asked on last week's show? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, we did have the one. We did have the one surprise comment, which um, I'll, I'll talk about a little bit later. But uh, if you are new to this show, then welcome. Ben and I basically uh, get together every week and just prattle on and, and talk cinematic ramblings for an hour or so. And I have a funny feeling it's going to be longer than that on this episode. This is going to be a long one, Ben. So I hope you're strapped in. It is. I drastically underestimated the amount of films that you uh, <laughs> wanted to talk about. Uh, yeah, I think I um, bit off more than I can chew, but we'll find out, won't we? <laughs> Even that, it was—I thought it was like half of what it actually is. Yep. 
And even that, I remember thinking, oh, we haven't done a show like that since like the, the first two or three episodes that I was on. <laughs> that's right. And, and that's and that was when we we because the idea, the whole idea of the show was that it was it was only supposed to be a half an hour show, and we never, we've never. I don't know if you and Keith ever made the half an hour. We certainly have never made the half an hour. No, I actually last time I mentioned that I went back to episode one just to check, and I think we hit the forty minute mark. So yeah. <laughs> impossible, I say. Impossible. It's pretty good. Yeah, take out the songs and the, the <laughs> theme song and you kind of got to 30. Oh, there you go. Um, but we do have uh, our friends and colleagues joining us today, as always. We um we have Jarrett Garn coming up, so keep listening for that. He's from Monster Fest, and he's the guy with the encyclopedic knowledge of physical media and all things. He's a bit of a freak, really. Um, <laughs> he joins us every week to talk about new releases, hitting the formats, so stick around. And then also coming up... Fresh from Scarefest in Lexington, Kentucky, we have the Boneheads with their Bonehead Weekly Fun Size segment. Well, two, <laughs> two thirds of the Boneheads this week. So, which one's boneheads. missing? You're going to have to find out. <laughs> I mean, look, I think it works. I, I think it works with two. <laughs> like it's like it's like kissing. <laughs> you know, you can do it with three people, but it always looks weird. <laughs> We also have Melzy Beg coming up for a special surprise. Oh, do we? Yeah, that's right. No, I didn't. Know. No, so <laughs> I'm just giving people reasons to stay, mate. <laughs> right. Because, you know, as if we're not enough. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of boneheads, though, I don't know if you follow them, um, people listening, that is. I don't know if you follow them on social media. They have had a busy week over the last week. They had the um, Scarefest convention and Joe hosted most of their panels, which was really impressive, including the Jaws panel with Richard Dreyfus and the Terrifier panel and a whole lot of others. So um, they do a lot of fun stuff. So please give them some support. Uh, we have to get ourselves over there, Ben. We've been talking about it for so long. We definitely have to do a Good Movie Monday. What do you call a... It's, like, it's not a road trip. It's a plane trip. Plane trip. <laughs> yeah. A, plane trip followed by road trip. We have to do a, a North American it's tour. A, it's a buddy plane trip. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. This year, their lineup, I'm just going to talk about them for a minute, but they had like David Arquette, uh, Greg Nicotaro, Dylan McDermott, Amy Steele, Doug Bradley, Ken Furry, Tom Savani, Savini, I should say, Jack uh, Osborne, Nick Castle, Bill Mosley, Kane Hodder. Like, it is a huge convention. So it's something that we need to partake in. I find it surprising because I remember when the, when the strike was the first announced, it was, I thought all conventions were going to grind to a, grind to a halt because you weren't supposed to be allowed to talk about, even talk about your films. It's a good point. You know? It seems like that's no, that's not a thing. I guess it, you know, what happens in Kentucky stays in Kentucky. <laughs> that's a really good point. I'm going to, I know the people that run Scarefest, so I'm going to actually pick their brains about that. And one, I wonder how they got around that because I know I am struggling to get talent to talk to for Australian films because of the American mm. strikes. So, how the hell they landed that many people on one convention is beyond me. Yeah. And look, I know they're not an Aussie convention and we are an Aussie show, but um, we're kind of associated with them, as you've just uh, heard. And I know that a decent pool of our listenership comes from over there. So, you know, important to uh, support them too. But let's get back to today's show. It's going to be long enough. You don't need me prattling on anymore. We've got a countdown of 20 choice Halloween movies for this year each. That's 20 each, so 40 films in total. I don't know if we're going to actually stop and talk about every one of them. Otherwise, we'll be here till tomorrow. But... um. Before I go any further, let's just throw it to Jarrett and then we'll get started. Hi, Jarrett. It's been a while. It has indeed. The last two segments I've been reporting remotely. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm surprised that I'm actually here doing this week's segment. I figured I was 
I wasn't feeling the greatest coming off 10 days of Monster Fest. And I was thinking I might have to do this remotely again and patch it together <laughs> and cut out every single cough from it. But thankfully, the cough has has passed. Excellent. I'm glad you're on the mend, mate. Um, Monster Fest looked like it was a fantastic year. Um, I got to a few screenings, what I could see online. Everyone had a great time. Congrats. It, it was honestly, yeah, it was it was a terrific festival and uh, we saw it out well on Sunday evening with the the awards and then drinks into the very early hours that uh, ended at Tankerville because you can't call it Monster <laughs> Fest if you haven't been to Tankerville. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get down to business. What is coming out this week? Well, it's a pretty massive week for releases this week. Basically, there's two huge releases. The first of which is uh, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 coming out on 4K, Blu-ray and DVD. And it's loaded with special features. You've got a commentary, seven featurettes, deleted scenes. And the good news is, if you don't have 4K, you can still get that Dolby Atmos because it's on the Blu-ray as well as the 4K, which is a nice touch. I, I definitely need to pick this bad boy up myself. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know how soon I'll watch it again, given I saw it <laughs> twice theatrically. Well, but... last week yeah. they just um, announced that they've pushed back uh, Dead Reckoning Part 2 to 2025. So you've got time. Jeez. You've yeah, got there's time. plenty of time. Plenty of time. Well, in that case, I may just wait for a sale on that one because, yeah, the expenditure has been quite massive of late. But there's another title from Uni Sony, admittedly uh, not quite as huge or really not quite as good. Let's be honest, it's been a couple of months since it played theatrically, so I think we could be frank about it. Dracula, Voyager, the Demeter. Uh, it's coming out on Blu-ray and DVD, and I have no idea what special features are on this one at this stage because uh, Studio Canal have not reached out to uh, to tell me, which kind of makes me think maybe there's not going to be any special features on there. Uh, it's Lionsgate in the States, and I believe there were some deleted scenes on that one. I can't, I can't really recall what else was on there, but this is a film that I probably won't be revisiting in a hurry. Like, I, I, not that I disliked it, I just didn't enjoy it that much. It had a lot of potential, and um, it was a bit of a yawn, honestly. Yeah, I, I, it's one of the films that, even though it's fairly short in and of itself, it could probably benefit from 10 minutes taken off it. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, yeah, if they let me go at it with the scissors, I could probably work out maybe 27 minutes that we could pull from that and get it, get it down to like an acceptable running length of 90 or less minutes, preferably yeah, right. 77 minutes. Hey, Ben, 77 minutes would be yeah, a good reckon, duration. And, and then and then reshoot some uh, slapstick comedy to, to shove in there just to just say something, you know, that, you know, Dracula could slip on a banana peel. Or, yeah, totally. Totally. Like just to, just to yeah. add a bit of entertainment to it. And some maybe wobble board effects. Yeah. <laughs> Something of that nature. Yeah. But yeah. he slips he slips on a garlic clove. Or I could digitally yeah. replace the uh the Nosferatu character with Rolf Harris's head. That would be more <laughs> terrifying, I can assure you of that. More terrifying. You, you don't want to know what's down below. <laughs> God no. Yeah. And then there's one more release I'll mention from Universal <laughs> Sony this week. It's from the Paramount catalog. And it's Scream 3, which is coming out on 4K Ultra HD, which is terrific because the Blu-ray, which has been out for eons, has a pretty tired transfer and the 4K does look fairly spectacular. As spectacular as a Scream film from the early 2000s can look, but it does look great. So now we only need Scream 4 and that's just the completest in me because for me, that's the weakest of the Scream franchise part four. Really? Uh, yeah, definitely. The Number weakest. three for me. Oh. 
Really? I see yeah. three I've got a soft spot for because at least it's, you know, it's still Wes Craven and there's some fun cameos, but four I just four was a struggle for me to revisit. I Interesting. Um, I see yeah. at the time when I saw it theatrically, I thought, well, you know, it's a little bit of a return to form. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't did not feel it. Admittedly, I will revisit when the 4K comes out, but I've seen it twice, once theatrically, and then I've snapped it up on Blu-ray when it came out revisited it and i actually enjoyed it less than i did the first time around it was a bit of a <laughs> bit of a like a wes anderson thing you know sometimes you watch one of the wes anderson newer wes anderson films and it's fine in a cinema it's okay you know it, it's good but it's not a patch on royal tannenbaum's rushmore whatever but then you revisit it on home entertainment and then you find yourself struggling to actually finish the film mm. yeah so anyway screen three out in 4k i i i give it two thumbs up i mean it's <laughs> got a uh, kevin smith and um jay in there doing a cameo as well which was really around that time that jay and silent bob strike back came back where they had cameos galore anyway so that one's coming out the other key it, release it's um it's what's his name sorry it's what's his name from um die hard as M- well right um the uh who's the the sleazy guy hans baby that guy the oh the coach, yeah yeah, the yeah that he's like the film why not that's yeah. right. And is it it's Emma Roberts who's one of the leads Emma in this Robert, one yeah. too. Yeah. Sort of start kick started her screen screening career. One. Right. Well there's yeah, the yeah. Hollywood sex parties and stuff with Hang uh, on, what, are we talking series. about four or three? Now we're going back we're talking about three, aren't we? Yeah. Three. Emma three's Roberts the Hollywood one. Yeah. 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 Three's the, yeah. the one where the where yeah, her mum's passed around like a to all the yes, sex that's parties. Right. They, yes. They secretly film and it's all it's all very Harvey Weinstein, but it's not Harvey Weinstein, but it's Harvey Weinstein, which is so hard considering it's produced by Harvey Weinstein. (laughs) (laughs) Or was it Bob, actually? I think it's Bob and Harvey, although it's Dimension, so technically it's Bob. It's Bob's department, so interesting. But anyway, the other release that I want to mention, not from Universal Sony, from Roadshow, uh, that's coming out this week is is a gigantic release, and it's getting released on 4K Blu-ray and DVD, is Meg to the Trench uh so i have not seen this yet i will definitely watch it uh partly because the director who's behind the film uh but also you know i'm a bit of a sucker for big budgeted you know giant monster slash shark films so i'll i'll give it a look did you gentlemen see this one no i missed it and spewing because everyone that i know who has seen it has been raving about it um melzy um saw it and she just loved it to death so i'm definitely keen i you know you know i wasn't that crash hot on the first one but no this one no, really I, appeals to me for some reason oh yeah i feel like i think he attempted to make up for the sins of the past with this one but he was still sort of restricted by the fact yeah. the studio wanted a pg-13 film in the states i feel like the first one they took themselves a bit too seriously trying to mm. make a mega shark movie and it ended up being unintentionally funny so with part two it looks like they've actually played leaned into that Human. absolutely that territory and so no I, i'm keen to the, check it out i was does it have the same does it have the china connection because it was they definitely tried to shoehorn those two chinese characters yeah it it does indeed yeah. yeah absolutely there's there's two featurettes on the 4k and the blu-ray and i think one of them actually talks about the dynamic between jason statham and the actor who i can't remember his name uh, and how so it's yeah. east meets west with those guys but yeah two featurettes it's a bit of fluff but i mean yeah it's meg to the trench are you going to watch the special features probably not and there's a just double pack grateful exactly and just be grateful it's coming out on 4k and again the dolby atmos track is on the blu-ray and the 4k so Mate. you know 
You don't need the 4K <laughs> if you don't want that uptick in picture quality. So there's that. Excellent. So that's it? That is it for releases for this week. Anything else that's coming out certainly is not worth mentioning. All right. Well, um, in this, this week we're talking all about Halloween films. So I was going to pick your brain before we let you go and just sort of ask you what are three essential Halloween films for this year? Okay. Well, look. There's the perennial favourite, regardless of... Actually, look, regardless of what month, whether it's Halloween or not, it's John Carpenter's 1978 Halloween. It's pretty much a perfect film, and I watch it on an annual basis, sometimes biannually. I will actually be going to see... Believe it or not, I've never seen Halloween on the big screen, which is shocking, but at any time it's played on a big screen, I've not been in town when it's on. I've seen this movie... Like, I honestly think I've seen this movie more than 100 times. Mm Mm-hmm. I've owned it on every format. I own multiple versions of it on different formats. <laughs> and Monday, is it Monday or Tuesday? It's Tuesday night. I'm going to a cinema to see this on the big screen on Halloween. So I'm certainly excited for that. But look, it's not Halloween if there's no John Carpenter's Halloween, to be honest. My second one is one that we, you know, I know we both dearly love. And we did a whole podcast episode, probably in the old days of the fakeshemp.net podcast. And it's Satan's Little Helper from 2004, the Jack <laughs> Lieberman classic. Yes. <laughs> and it feels like, you know, when we were talking about it back then, you know, a good 10 years ago, it was a bit of an obscurity. It was the last film that, you know, Jeff Lieberman had directed and, you know, it hadn't really quite got its cult status yet. Flash forward now, it's got a Blu-ray release in the US, a Blu-ray release in the UK, and both of the editions have exclusive content to one another. So... I well, think it's, it's finally being celebrated. You and I watched that together, and I think we at did. the time it was just on DVD. That was the only means we that had. Was it? Absolutely, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I admittedly, I, this will be a first-time watch on Blu-ray for me. So I'm excited to see how it looks because, obviously, it was shot digitally and, you know, even some of that looked a bit hokey on video in terms of the quality. So I'm, I'm wondering how it will shape up on Blu-ray. But given that Synapse handled the transfer, I've got nothing but faith. What a in fun it. movie. What a fun movie. It's fantastic. And for anyone that's not aware and doesn't want to delve 10 years back into the past or listen to that episode, it's basically about a lonely boy who befriends a serial killer, a very obedient serial killer. Uh, and it's, yeah, terrific watch. Who, terrific who watch. is in trick-or-treat disguise. So they, they trick-or-treat together. Exactly. And yeah. nobody knows. Yeah. And it's the perfect night to get away with murder because, of course, people have dead bodies lying on their porch. You know, it's <laughs> Halloween. It's decorative. And I've got one last one, which is reasonably obscure i wouldn't say super obscure and i'm really looking forward to revisiting this one tales of halloween from Mm. 2015 anthology i think it's one of the better anthology films that has come out in probably the last decade or so i mean you've got so much good talent you've got lucky mckee mike mendez uh who else have you got neil marshall it's a it's 10 short stories uh with 10 different directors all tied into halloween and the runtime's quite long, but I actually find that the duration of each of the films is like the perfect length. Yes. Nothing really outstays its welcome. Yeah, I don't like so anthology dark... films. When anthology films only have like two or three stories, that's a real drag for me. But when they've got like ten of them and they just move like lightning, that's where lightning it's fun. pace yeah. exactly. And 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 not fifty of them like those A to Z ABCs <laughs> of horror or whatever, where you've got. <laughs> 50 odd shorts and really there's three good ones but you've got to wade through ty west's horrible short film to get, <laughs> get to the they're others. not even short films they're like little no. commercials yeah that that's pretty much it but tales of halloween yeah i'm yeah, excited cool. to revisit that one so that's my my top three essential halloween films for this year 
Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, thank you, mate. It's good to have you back on board. Um, let's do it again next week. Absolutely. Very keen to come back. And remember, gentlemen, until next time, stay hey, physical. physical. Oh, no, I've been missing. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, we're wasting no time here, Ben. We're going to jump into it and just... I guess you call these recommended recommendations. We should have really done this at the start of October with this many films for people to build we, their... We probably should have done the 31 days, 31 days of horror and done 31 films each. Well, that is true. But alas, you know, these are just movies you can put on at any given time. You don't have to wait for Halloween, you know? Certainly not. Bank this episode and keep listening like in increments. <laughs> <laughs> Another one off the checklist. So let's count backwards this year's list. Um, I see. I haven't done it. I've done it the way I've done it. Yep. And it's interesting to see how you've done it. Is that I've put them into into four categories. Yep. Five films per category. Mm-hmm. That's how I've done it. Okay. In no particular order within that category. Because right. I figured that's how we were talking about them. Well, it doesn't matter what order mine go in either. Um, what I've done here, because we have several blocks on the show, I've just separated mine per blocks, but it doesn't matter. We'll just maybe do like five at a time like you've done and, and see yep. where it takes us. Uh, and as most people that listen to this show know, uh, when it comes to Halloween, I tend to select more fun movies. I don't necessarily go for hardcore horror. I like the PG family-friendly type of stuff. There's going to be a few exceptions, but I'm going to kick it off with one that I know is going to be on your list, but it has to be because it's a good movie Monday staple now. It is Hoobie Halloween. That is where I'm starting. And we can sort of uh, talk about it. We've already talked about it ad nauseum, but uh, it's a movie now that has become like an annual event for me. Like I can't imagine a Halloween without this one. Yeah, I mean, we, we primarily do it just to rub it in... Uh... <laughs> Chloe's face. Chloe's face, uh, and there is a there is there is a bit of disgruntlement out there in the in the wider community about this film, which I don't understand because, do like you, I think it's excellent. <laughs> it is on my list. It, it is not in. It is. It is. Uh, it. It's in my. It's it, it's in my list for later in the okay, show. Well, how about if but, if, if but either, it is definitely uh, on my list. We can brush through it later. Yeah, I was going to say, if either of us double up, we just we talk about them now and then we can skip it next, like yeah. when we get to it. But yeah, um, yeah. Look, the thing I find frustrating and and surprising when people really diss on Hubie Halloween is the fact that these usually are the same people that don't have an issue with Waterboy or maybe cool. Little Nicky, and this is cut from the same cloth. It is the same character essentially. I don't yeah. understand it, but um, I mean, it is the Waterboy, isn't it? Yeah, basically, yeah. The mother, the mother relationship with the son, like it's very similar. The the voice, obviously, the personality. Yeah, I just don't understand. If you like Adam Sandler, this should be like top tier for you. Yeah, <laughs> in my eyes. And hey, this is the ultimate tribute to Ray Liotta as well. Yeah, that's right. Like, I mean, I can't now. I can't. Like, I used to be when I think of Ray Liotta, I used to think of the guy with his his scalp cut off and you could see his brains from Hannibal. But now I think of him with a big fluffy afro clown wig. <laughs> <laughs> And that's a much more pleasant image. I still wish they would have cut his head open and ate his brains. <laughs> okay. It would have been popcorn if it was Hoobie Halloween. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That All right. Been... What's, your, uh, what's your first one? Well, so my first block, uh, I've I've labelled it the classics. Okay, cool. So the kind of the perennial, the Halloween perennials. Sweet. Although they, kind of, they are filtered throughout the list because you can't not be. But so my first one, and, and Jarrett mentioned it in his list, but it is the original... 1978 Halloween. Yep. Directed by John Carpenter. Totally. The uh the what is it, the pedophilias. 
<laughs> of the slasher genre. I considered skipping this entirely this year. I just thought, like, I've seen it enough. You know, maybe this year we can go something a bit more refreshing. But I couldn't, I couldn't drop it. Like, so it is on my list as well later on, um, which we can brush over then. But it, you can't do Halloween now without including this fucking movie. No. No, you've got to go to, you've, you've just, it, you know, and in one way or another, you have to go to Haddonfield. <laughs> That's right. Halloween. You just it, got to do it. It's the town of Halloween. Yeah. God damn it. All right. So anything else you want to add to that one? No, I don't. Look, it, it's, Everyone you know, knows. it's, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, how about I back that up with um, 1988's Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. <laughs> oh, what a banger. I, um, yeah, look, it's. It's been absent from my Halloween viewing for a very long time and um, I just felt this year is the year to revisit it and I did revisit it last week. It is sorely underrated and incredibly misunderstood, I think. Such a great atmosphere and like a big slice of 80s nostalgia for me. I watched this and it is, it's cut out of the same... Fabric as Pee Wee Herman. And they did come from, you know, the same comedy troupe and all that kind of stuff. Like Andy McClurk yeah. worked with Pee Wee and John Paragon and all this kind of stuff. So it is the same circle as Pee Wee Herman, but it feels like it's the same universe as well. Yeah. And look, you know, I would go out on a limb and, and say that shows like Family Guy and The Simpsons probably wouldn't exist without this like Elvira and Pee Wee Herman style of humor. Totally. Because that's kind of, that's what it is. Like, Family Guy and, and and stuff, they take it to the nth degree. Yep. But this is kind of where it started. I totally agree. And you're right. Now that you say that, you watch it, it's got a very sitcom kind of feel to it. Almost like they were riffing off of, you know, Adam's Family and things like that, but then bringing it yeah. to the 80s. And it is such a funny movie. I think Cassandra Peterson's incredible in it. The character's amazing. I love the, the township and the people in it and Edie McClurg as the... Uh, the, the head of the lynch mob trying to drive her out. It, it's just yeah. fantastic. And the fact that Elvira ends up um, <laughs> witnessing the entire town of Bible bashers having a massive orgy is just one of the funniest things I can think of. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's essential, essential Halloween viewing this year for me. Indeed. Well, I look up my, my second film uh in the in the classics department is uh has just been re-released on 4k for its 50th anniversary it is robin hardy's 1973 musical banger the wicker man oh of course of course you gotta look you know and it ties in well with the uh the if you wanted if you did elvira and ending with the orgy Like the Wicker Man and, you know, it, it continues that orgy theme. Yeah, like you could definitely string those together. If you wanted to go and do a rewrite and just like string those two movies together, you could string totally it together. And then, yeah, and then and then end it with the shunting with society. <laughs> yes. There was definitely a Yasna feel in Alvira, that's for sure. Certainly was. Oh, my goodness. And look, I, my next one is almost like could occupy the same universe as well. I've gone with Beetlejuice. Um, it's... It's another one I haven't watched for maybe three or four years. I feel like it's the the year for it because part two is on its way. It's just had a 4K yeah. release. Um, just a really great film. I can't f- I can't find fault in it. I think it's probably Tim Burton's best movie. No, uh, no aside from the the table dance mm. uh, Deo scene, yep. I don't think I've seen this movie in a, in a decade. 
Like right. it's been a long time since I've seen it. So it's, it is the perfect time for a rewatch. Bloody oath it is. And like I said, with part two around the corner, um, it's time to catch up. Everybody jump into the Beetlejuice world. And um, it's also like it's, you know, apart from one particular scene, it's, it's a very family friendly film. Yeah. And, um, and Michael Keaton, I don't think, has ever been better. Like I said, Tim Burton's never been better. Everyone that's cast in it is perfectly cast. And yeah, Beetlejuice, everyone, get around to it. Jump in the line and rock your body on time. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I believe you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, your next one. Uh, my next one, this is a bit of a cheat because I've, I've kind of slotted two films in here. Oh, cheeky uh, bugger. It is uh, The Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Mm-hmm. Both the 56 and the 78 version. And I, as much as I do love the 78 version, I would say pound for pound, the 56 version is just as terrifying. Yep. Like I, I know you don't really like the body snatcher films. They're not really your bag, but uh, I remember the first time, I think I I would have seen the 78 version first, like years and years before I saw the 56 Mm -hmm. version. But I popped that 56 version in for the first time when the um, Olive Blu-ray came out. And I remember being genuinely unnerved during that, when they find the first body that's, um, you know, half transformed. Mm -hmm. And that's about as much as you get in that first one. It's not like the second one, there's a lot more. And and in all the, you know, success, I can't even think of the word, but all all of the sequel since they get more and more graphic like the abel ferrara mm-hmm. once you know that one's really full-on invasion not so much but but the first one is is the tamest in terms of you know shock kind of gore and yet it's very reminiscent of a film that i will talk about later but the body looks a lot like the body they pull out of the tank in uh or that they release in uh, uh return of the living dead yeah 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 and it's like that kind of weird yellow jaundiced yep. body, that, you know, comically runs around the uh, <laughs> the, the 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 warehouse mm-hmm. to the cemetery in Return of the Living Dead. You know, what? it's not that I hate the, the these type of films. I just I get fatigued by them very quickly. Like I, the concept runs very very thin very quickly for me. I I think the Donald Sutherland one, Sutherland one is the one I like the most. Um, yeah, I mean, but there's so many, like, it, it is a, like, it's based on a book series, a book that was from the, I think the 30s, I think the guy wrote the book, um, Jack somebody or another, but there's like, I Married a Space Alien, like mm-hmm. all of those, the Seed People, which is the um, the Charles Band version, there's... Um, pod People from the Asylum. <laughs> yeah, um, but there's a, what's the, uh, there's the Toby Hooper one, Invaders from Mars. Yep. Yeah, like there's a lot of those, you know. Yeah, Stefford Wives is basically a absolutely a riff on Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yep, and it is like it is a truly terrifying thing. It's like it's the ultimate gaslighting <laughs> because until you've been snatched, everyone thinks you're crazy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Well, because you cheated, I'm going to cheat and throw two in one here as well because I actually almost did that. Um, now you've given me a license to do so so <laughs> i'm gonna go with um the gate and gate two now i did have gate two down it. for my pick because i think it is another sorely underrated movie a fantastic sequel to the original i guess you'd say cult classic um it's got great stop motion it's just a fantastic pg horror film I, as i as, as i keep saying i just love pg horror 
Um, and the world needs more yeah. Lewis Tripp. The world just, and this is Lewis Tripp's only lead role in any movie. Yeah. I think someone we know <laughs> may be working on The Gate 2. Yes, a certain certain somebody yeah. we know has, um, I believe, been very invested in this. I don't know how much we can say, so yeah. I'll leave it at yeah, that. Just, <laughs> just that. Yeah. But there is, um, there is well, everybody does know, because I'm pretty sure it has been revealed online that there is a Gate 1 and 2 double pack coming. Yeah. And so get excited for that, people. Because The Gate, if you've never seen The Gate, it's just a fantastic, um, I want to say kid-friendly horror film, because in my mind it is. But it's it's a soft core film that's magical and fantastic about demons that come up through a hole in the backyard. It is funny because it is one of those, you know, it is one of those horror films that I don't, I don't know how appropriate it actually is for kids. But because it stars kids, yeah, yeah, think it's like they're like, oh, no, it's a kids film, and you're like, there's some genuinely terrifying moments. There here. is. See, whereas my barometer for that is more in lines with once upon a time, these were kid-friendly movies, but the standards and the norms have changed, and so I don't know what the current standard is. I do know that in, in our day, these were perfectly fine movies for kids to watch, you know, Monster yeah. Squad being th- another one. And- I just think it's now parents are expected to pay more attention. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> they, they, <laughs> they need to parent when, a bit more. <laughs> yeah, when we were kids, it was, and when you know, even when I worked in a in a video store which that's your cue to do a shot if you're if you're playing along with the uh when i worked in a video store <laughs> drinking game that uh, is usually played i on posted the, a video of my old video show. store yeah. on socials last week um parents are really only concerned with sex and nudity <laughs> yeah this movie they would they would routinely come into the video store and hold up a tape that's R-rated, and he goes, is this okay for my 12-year-old? Yeah. And go, well, it's R-rated, and they go, yeah, well, I know that, but is there lots of sex in it, or is it just, like, horror? Yeah, or is it just violence? Just, just violence and horror. Oh, that's okay, then. Yeah, totally. Because, heaven forbid, they had to have the awkward conversation. I know. They don't even have to have, like, the internet now means you never have to, means never having to have the awkward conversation. Exactly. You just, you just put Pornhub on and shove them the shove the computer, and this is how babies happen. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> just shove the iPad in their lap and off they go. Um, I just mentioned a minute ago, Lewis Tripp is in these movies. Now, I'd, I'd wondered what's Lewis Tripp up to, like, because I haven't heard of this guy for a long time. And basically, Gate 2 was around about the end of his film career. I don't know where he went after that. However, interestingly, he has worked recently in a few... Uh, he's been in a few Kid Crusher music videos, which is Australia's Kid Crusher, who, um, oh. friend of the podcast, Daniel Armstrong, director from Melbourne, directs a lot of those videos. So we'll have to get him on the show, Glenn. I would love to get Lewis Tripp. Um, Daniel Armstrong's been on the show, so maybe we can get him back. But um, we should do like a yeah, whole when you episode. Say that, it's funny that it's when you say that, I, I automatic when you say Lewis Tripp, I automatically think of Captain Trips, the uh, <laughs> the virus from uh, the stand. <laughs> well, we've kind of had that on the show for a whole year, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, two years. All I've right. got it now. <laughs> Since you're not here and missing the candy, mind you, I might I might just interject right now and say that uh, interject myself. That is, <laughs> the candy <laughs> is useless. I can't eat it because I can't talk at the same time. You can't talk at the same time. So I've had this half tuned bit of uh, yeah, candy in my hand for the last two minutes. Is that a bullet? No, it's one of those cola straps. It tastes like fizzy drink. Oh, yeah, yeah, very nice. Yes. All right, carry on. Uh, okay, my next one is. I was debating whether to include this or not, but it's not. Look, it's close enough to horror. It's horror adjacent. <laughs> it is uh, David Cronenberg's 1981 classic Scanners, because yeah, totally, totally. I mean, you know, it's I always it's more of a cop 
kind of. It, it, I mean, but it, it, like if you were in the video store, you'd find it either in horror or sci-fi. You'd find it in the horror, yeah, 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 yeah you would. Uh, and look, I I put it here purely because it is. I I was I knew I wanted to include a David Cronenberg film, and there are so many Videodrome. You know, was circling around the flyers, circling around, but Scanners is is pretty much was always my gateway drug into Cronenberg. It was actually the first Cronenberg movie I saw. And it's still, when I think of Cronenberg, I think of the head exploding scene in Scanners. <laughs> yes. That's um, interesting. That, that, see, that's something we should do on the show later on. Blow um, each other's heads up. <laughs> no, just like first first image that comes to mind when you say a certain director or something like yeah. that. Because when I think David Cronenberg, first thing that comes to my mind is James Wood reaching into his stomach. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I've got one more to go before we break, and I think you've got one more? Yeah. All right, so this one, don't come at me for this one. I've got my reasons. A movie in 2012 that most people love to hate, it is Lords of Salem. This one, I think, is uh, one of only, I think, three Rob Zombie movies that I actually like, because I really don't think much of the rest. But it's like, it's it's the epitome of Halloween, really. It's very much witchcraft, you know, Salem, obviously. It's nightmarish. It's very surreal and colourful. That's something that my mind goes to when I think of Halloween movies is colour. And I just love the imagery in this. Not necessarily the story, although that's not bad. I just love how far he pushes the uh, the blasphemous, um, the really nasty imagery. Like you've got all these sort of, it's a cult with sex and they're all like jerking each other off and it's really grotesque and pornographic and I just love the lighting that strobes. It's full of um, famous uh, horror queens, scream queens, I guess you'd say. I was going to say, look, I've, I've never seen it, yeah. but I'm just looking at the cast list here. Yeah. And... You say you say like there's a giant circle jerk, and the circle jerk contains D. Wallace, Meg Foster, Sid Haig, Ken Foray, <laughs> Judy Geeson, Bruce Davison, Richard Lynch, Michael Berryman. No, now there's there's, a, there's, a, there's scene a, with, a there's a scene where they go into like an underground lair or like a, a room where the cults are all sitting in their thrones, or whatever. But they've got their their hard cocks out and they're all stroking. Yeah, and there's Billy Drago, Barbara Crampton. <laughs> Mary, Maria Cachetta Alonso, Clint Howard, Udo Kier, yeah, look, Lisa Marie, I'd... Richard Fancy, Daniel Roebuck. Like these are, are these are the people I want to see in an orgy. I, I, I tell you what, like I just I do love the film, but I think I like it for the shock value more than anything. It's um it's one of the few movies on my list that is you know not kid friendly, but uh, when it comes to Rob Zombie, I think when he's good and he applies a visual flair to what he does, I I, I love it and. The stuff I don't like, I think he's lazy that he does. I think yeah. he's, you know. So anyway, Lords of Salem. That's all I'll say. About I mean, that. my favorite thing about this, and I, I mentioned I haven't seen it, but earlier today I was, I was, uh, I'd found this graphic designer on Instagram and I was looking at some of his old, he specializes in kind of horror screening kind of art and stuff like that. Yep. And he had done a Rob Zombie one, but it was it was Robbie Zombie, <laughs> Robbie Zombie, and I was like Robbie Zombie, that's amazing. <laughs> My God, hey, there's so another on, there's another Robbie, throwback. Robbie Zombie. Rob Zombie got his start as a production designer on Pee Wee's Playhouse. How, how would they let that guy anywhere near Pee Wee's Playhouse? Well, that was before he was a white zombie fucking rocker. Before he grew the beard, maybe I don't know. Before he hooked up with Sherry Moon. <laughs> well, you consider too that like before Pee Wee's Playhouse was Pee Wee's Big Adventure, and that was Tim Burton, who was like a bit of a goth king. Yeah, but he's like 
Tim Burton's a weird introvert, <laughs> you know, now. <laughs> He's the guy that comes to school with the with the uh, <laughs> AR-15 and takes out all his tormentors. <laughs> it's a you know, different vibe to Rob Zombie. Rob Zombie's more like the, although I guess just as bullied, but the Skippy from Trick or Treat <laughs> <laughs> kind of, kind of, you know, heavy metal nerd. If ever there was a perfect segue for Rob Zombie's song, now would be it, but um, not the case. <laughs> <laughs> well, my number five for this, uh, for this segment is the James Cameron classic aliens. Okay. Interesting. I, you know, this movie is like, oh, it, admittedly, I always think of this in the alien trilogy. I always, the original alien trilogy, I always think of the, the first one's like a thriller. The second one's an action movie. And the third one is like a kind of whodunit. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this is definitely the action movie. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it informs James Cameron's kind of style in, in, in things, in everything that had, has been since and before, but it is just, uh, you know, it is, it's like, it's horror comfort food. <laughs> Aliens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's, so, uh, it, it is cool. as far away from Halloween as I could imagine, but, you know, interesting that you've chosen hey, it. In Halloween, no one can hear you trick or treat, but it doesn't mean you're not doing it.
Hey, did you know that you can listen to all of the music that we play on this show on Spotify? We have a playlist called Good Movie Monday, The Music. There's enough music there for a road trip from Melbourne to Sydney and back or to Adelaide and back. That's a lot of music. It is. And that song's just been added to it. It's The Boogeyman by Niles Barkley. I had I thought we had played that song before on the show, maybe last Halloween, but um, according to our Spotify playlist, that's not the case. I thought I got excited there when you, I thought it was the Ooga, Ooga Boogeyman from Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> Sorry about that. You know, I've been waiting for you to sing that on the show. I. You've got the tone for it. <laughs> I can't. I can't do. I can't remember the lyrics. I need to look up the lyrics. There. <laughs> you know, if you go and look up the lyrics now, that means you are going to have to sing it. So you're probably best not to, unless you yeah. want to. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Alrighty, so uh, as we have been doing recently, we've been throwing questions out to Facebook just to see if anybody's watching and who um, wants to comment and we'll read their names out and all that kind of stuff. And the results are in for the latest. Uh, We did ask people to contribute with three horror films of their own for this Halloween. We've only had two niggles this week, Ben. Only had two fucking niggles, but that's okay. Because one of them is our old mate, Brody Kane, who called your bluff. He called your (laughs) bluff last week. He certainly did, and I accidentally... I accidentally Instagram called him. <laughs> what? I, uh, How did I that go down? Did he answer? He didn't, but he texted me. It was like two o'clock in the morning or something. And he, he messaged me the next morning. Sorry, man, I didn't hear the thing going off. And I was like, I'm sorry. I pushed the wrong button and I desperately, <laughs> it did that thing where I tried to turn it off and it went off. Oh, man. I had to get back to it and try and, how do I turn it off? No. That's a, he thought you wanted to talk to him, mate. Was, uh, I mean, I, look, I'm not averse to that. I just it was just, <laughs> it was an accident, not at two o'clock in the morning. You know, he didn't want to hear. Oh, I pushed the wrong button. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he contributed. Uh, I think five movies instead of three. He just can't get enough. This guy. But that's okay because we can't get enough of him. So he suggested the Blob, which uh, the remake, of course, the 1988 one. That is that- a great Halloween film. That uh, I'm I'm disappointed in myself. That's not on my list. Now his next one is one of the Halloweeniest Halloween films. That's not Halloween, and that is Pumpkinhead. Yes, because it's got pumpkins <laughs> and and head. <laughs> it's the best kind of Halloween film. Yeah, and then he did Maniac Cop Two. Yes, it's a great film. I think I like that more than Part One. To be honest with you, a lot of people feel that way. Mm. Oh, look, I don't know. I I feel like it's it's like. Yeah, Evil Dead and Evil Dead Two, except <laughs> except that's a proper sequel, whereas Evil Dead Two is more of a remake. Yeah, but uh, yeah, look, I, I've got a soft spot for the first one. Yeah, I like the I like the uh, the the atmosphere of the first one. It's really really dank, kind of grotty film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's yeah, it's definitely a lot more um, Bill Lustig. Yes, and low number budget. Uh, yeah, number two, they more. add a lacquer to it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then for number four, he suggested Bad Moon. That's a great choice. I've not watched it in the longest time, so that might may have inspired me to go back and watch it. Yeah, I've never seen Bad Moon. And then good old uh, Hellraiser 3. Uh, now, now, Brody's a big fan like I am of Hellraiser 3 as well as Tony Hickok, so I think well, he's... Got, yeah, Paula Marshall in it, and she ain't, she ain't hard on the eyes. No. And, and what's his name too from um, Legion? Terry Farrell. Ah, right. Yes. Knew the face. Yeah. Without a name, I, I didn't know. <laughs> 
So that was uh, that was Brody. Um, then we had Sean Waterford came in with one suggestion, a good suggestion. That's the original House on Haunted Hill, which I think is a better Halloween film than the remake is. I look. I've got a lot of time. Like I mean, yes. It, like it, like there's a reason it's a classic, mm. and not just because it fell into the public domain, so everybody released it on video and <laughs> DVD over and over again. So it was always there. But it's yeah, you know, it's Vincent Price doing his Vincent the Priceyness. Yep. Uh, you know, it's great. It's up you know with House of Wax and Last Man on Earth. Yep. But also, like, the William Castle um, production value of, like, cheap props and, you know, cardboardy, plasticky things is much more Halloween in my mind. So I, I definitely would yeah. go to that first. But I still, I love the remake, but I think they perfectly serviced that mm-hmm. by making Jeffrey Rush, Vincent Price. Vincent Price and William Castle. And John Waters. One, with his, like, with the amusement rides yep. and all that kind of stuff and the fact that everyone thinks, you know... I thought I thought they worked it really well, and it has um, it has what's the name in it? Um, <laughs> Here we go again. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember her name. Uh, what's her, the musician? He's in the beginning as the uh, uh, as the reporter who he takes on the oh, Lisa Loeb. Oh, Lisa Loeb, yeah, yes. that's right. I, I had a major crush for Lisa Loeb. I always found who I always found none on the story very unattractive. But Lisa Loeb, very attractive. Yeah. And when you look at them side by side, you're like, they're basically the same person. What was? <laughs> yeah. And you can you can add Patsy Bisco to that. Yes, indeed. <laughs> but you just, you get next. That's a it's a threesome. It's a it's a a threesome that you weren't expecting when you had Patsy Bisco in there. <laughs> Alrighty, so let's um let's jump. Well, firstly, before we jump into the next five, um, we do that every week. Everybody, we throw a question out to you now, and uh, we'd love you to contribute to the show. We'll read your names out. We'll read your answers. Have a conversation about it, and it will help you if we if we get more people on board. It will help, um, I guess, finesse the show a little bit and sort of give us a new little thing to do. Um, yeah. Let's move into the next five, and I am gonna go with one that I didn't expect this year in my list and I just felt like it and suddenly it found its way into my list. It is 1986 Haunted Honeymoon. Oh, wow. Yes, Gene Wildner, he directed this one. Um, I just have great memories of this movie as a kid. It was Wilder's like um, take on, he called them comedy chillers. I love that whenever you listen to Gene Wilder talk about things he's written and things he liked, he makes up words that don't really exist. Like that term comedy chiller wasn't a thing he just sort of that was in his head and it became something he was referring to movies like black cat and cat in the canary those type of movies which i never in my mind would have thought of com- as comedy yeah, chillers comedy chillers so what the fuck he was thinking i don't know but um it was not very well received at the time but it's one that i took home on vhs all the time that and high spirits now high spirits i don't think has held up very well at all but this one haunted honeymoon i think does yeah, I never had any interest in watching either of those two films. Like oh, really? for me, if I was going to watch a movie like that, I'd watch Transylvania sixty five hundred, well, which admittedly too, now is like a piece of shit. It is, but, but that too, like those, all of those movies, and I was much more attracted to them because of the VHS yeah. cover art. And I'm um, trying to think of another one, but you know, this when you know Gene Wilder's work with Young Frankenstein and uh, Sherlock Holmes's um, smarter younger brother. Haunted Honeymoon just fits that little canon really nicely of what he's trying to do with the parody. Um, so yeah, there you go. Okay, so this this is my this 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 section of my films are the comfort food. Ooh. 
the Halloween comfort food. So it, it, I mentioned it before. It starts off with uh, Return of the Living Dead from 1985. Perfect. Dan O'Bannon's version mm-hmm. of Night of the Living Dead, mm-hmm. starring uh, Linnea Quigley and Jewel Shepard, two of my favorite Scream Queens, along with Miguel mm-hmm. Nunez. And uh, oh, I can never remember his name. Um <laughs> I can't remember the name of the guy. I know we've had we've had him on the show. Oh, you're talking about Tom Matthews. Tom Matthews. Yeah. Because he's just like sorry, sorry Tom, but Tom <laughs> Matthews is just not the name a name for an actor. It's just too friend of uh, Good Movie Monday, Tom Matthews. Too plain. Too too yeah. But who, um, who was a fantastic conversation, I might add. And if you want to go back and listen to a really good chat with someone that's been in Friday the Thirteenth and um and Return of Living Dead's and Albert Pune films. Go and have a listen. It's hilarious. And his dog is equally hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> In the background. <laughs> yes. Excellent. So that one, yeah, anything else you want to say? Like, I think the Return to Living Dead, the backstory behind that is fascinating, which we won't go into, but the mm. way that, that uh, the, the, the two writing partners, um, so Joe Russell, John Russo and um, George Romero parted ways after Return to Living Dead, or sorry, Night of the Living Dead. Yes, and then, and then fractured and had their own franchises running consecutively. They went their own yeah. way, yeah. So and weird. Dan O'Bannon, I mean Dan O'Bannon, oh, that too. Co-wrote Alien. Yep. He he worked on Dark Star with with uh, mm-hmm. with John Carpenter. Like you know, if there's a man who didn't who had his finger in more more horror pies, yeah. You know, Did you uh, say Dead and Buried? And Dead and Buried, yeah, yeah. Like he was just he was you know. <sighs> well. I guess we can the count Brian Usner of his day. Yes, I guess we can count all of mine comfort movies too. But that kind of carries me right through to the end of the show because these are all yeah. comfort. But I'm going to yeah. jump in with The Frighteners, 1996. Uh, not a lot needs to be said. It's uh, all of these kind of have the same criteria for me. Is that, that I haven't seen them for a few years and it's time for a rewatch. But this movie is so great, and I think not necessarily Peter Jackson's best, but it is my favorite. This is the one Peter Jackson movie I can go to more than any others. It's got a very Halloween vibe to it. It's equally hysterically funny and quite terrifying at the same time because the movie pivots halfway through and just descends into darkness. It becomes like a serial killer film that just, you know, catches you off guard and it is brilliant. It's a classic. And it was supposed to be originally a Tales from the Crypt movie that the producer, Robert Zemeckis, decided was too good for Tales from the Crypt and decided to make it its own standalone thing. Make it his own film. Yeah. Classic. Smart. There you go. My uh, my second film is uh, John Carpenter's, and this really, you could interchange it with pretty much any John Carpenter. <laughs> yeah. uh, but he does appear twice in this bracket. Mm. But it is John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. Of course. It is, it is possibly, it's one of the last John Carpenter movies that I saw, you know, for the first time. Yes. I'd put it off for some reason. I always thought that I always thought the poster looked shit. <laughs> I ne- was never really interested in watching. And Alice Cooper was in it, and I, I was like, "What is this?" Yeah. I just I thought it was yeah. You know, and then and then this customer at Alternate Worlds when I was working there came in and was like, you know, talking about how much he loved it. And I was like, "What do you mean? Like, it's surely it's the worst John Carpenter." <laughs> and he's like, "No, no, like, <laughs> it is excellent. Like, you need to." Like he was like, I, "You know, you can come around to my house and and I will pay for your dinner." And you just sit in the room by yourself and watch it because it is excellent. Yeah. And I, I, I politely thanked him for that and said no. But uh, <laughs> I did I did uh, then go and watch the 
the the DVD that I, I had, mm. and I was I didn't know that Wang Chi was in it and Egg <laughs> Chen from Big Trouble in Little China, <laughs> but I was blown away by how how much fun it was and how good Alice Cooper is yeah. as the possessed bum. I know, and he kind of plays a similar role in Freddy's Dead, Nightmare on Elm Street Six. Got his niche. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's interesting, um, John Carpenter, what a glorious moment in cinematic history for him, that sort of 10-year bracket. Like, it was just phenomenal. From, I'd say, Halloween through to maybe maybe that one, I think. And he's made a couple of good ones after, but I think that was the end of the run for him, yeah? Did that come after They Live? Uh, yeah, look, it's 87. I don't know where that falls is that mm. uh i don't know where that falls in his yeah. chronology but in the mid 90s he sort of fell off his run had run dry i guess you could say until <laughs> until 2000 when it picked right back up again <laughs> there's another shot for people <laughs> yeah and that is yeah hey i you know what i like nearly every single movie he's made but i think we can all agree there was a moment of greatness that kind of slipped off yeah look there is definitely yeah, not you know. It's wrong to say you love some of your children more than others. Uh, but um, every parent knows it's true. Yeah, it's just, I think I think look, I think he's fared better than a lot of you know directors. Yeah, totally. That I admire. Like if you look at someone like like Wes Anderson or the Coen Brothers or um, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Mm-hmm. I think John Carpenter's run of great films surpasses all of them. Like fucking oath, absolutely. You know, I think he's, you know, he had a much stronger kind of renaissance. I hundred percent agree with you. And um, we've also just discovered why Ben has so much resentment for his sister. Okay, all right. <laughs> so I'm coming in with I think possibly in my mind the best, the greatest PG horror film ever made. From 1990, Arachnophobia. This is, in my mind, a perfect film. There is nothing I can fault with this one. It is genuinely terrifying. I think anyone that has just a faint fear of spiders is going to absolutely be repulsed by this movie. Uh, Even if you love spiders, they are terrifying in this movie. It's got jump scares. It's full of thrills. And it's hilarious. It is comical right to the end. You've got um, John Goodman as the exterminator. Just hilarious. You've got the the townsfolk who are very much like the townsfolk from Elvira, you know, very simple, yeah. you know, towny kind of people. And these spiders just inhabit and infest this town. And you've got Julian Sands that comes in as the city expert. Um, fantastic yeah. role for him. Jeff Daniels is the main character, the lead. And yeah, just it's a it's the great creature feature and the best PG horror film I've ever seen. Yeah. Look, I was. This was the uh, the one of the first horror movies I showed my niece mm. because I knew my sister couldn't object because <laughs> yeah. it was only PG rated. Yep. You know, when that came out at the cinemas theatrically in 1990, I remember the long string of trailers that were running on television, like the TV spots. The TV spots made it look like it was an intense R-rated film. They didn't even try to play it for a PG crowd. Like it was generally a scary trailer. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome stuff. I could watch it. Once a month, and I'll never get watch it right now. Yeah, let's, let's just stop. stop. <laughs> Not arachnophobia. There, I've got exactly. the Blu-ray right behind me. That's one I've been trying to get Chloe to watch, and there's no way in hell she'll watch that ever. 
Just put on eight leg eight legged freaks as a warm up. <laughs> There's no warming up to arachnophobia. Or, uh, You've got to go in raw, was... mate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what was the other one? There's the uh there's the one that's like the little Miss Moffat. Oh, you uh, had, I don't know. You had arachnid. That was pretty average. It was arachnid, but there was a there was another. Oh, there's there's been a bunch of them, but there was like like I reckon in the last five years there yeah, was a big ass spider. spider. There was big ass spider, but there's another giant spider, itsy bitsy. Oh yes, 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 yes. Um, um and we've got um is it Kia Turner Roach has a new spider movie coming out as well. There's a remake of Arachnophobia coming out, which that. That's one of the remakes I just I shudder to think of. But anyway. Let's hope they make it R-rated. Well, I mean, they just should have used my script for Arachnophobia 2 and all crisis averted. Anyway. Did you send it to them? Did you actually forward <laughs> no, it on to them? No. Dear Hollywood, <laughs> here is my script for Arachnophobia 2. I reckon it's on prefer- perforated Love paper somewhere many. in a box. Yeah. <laughs> I printed it out and copyrighted it to myself. It's probably covered in cobwebs, ironically. Yeah. Carry on. Uh, my third film in this list is uh, is not a John Carpenter film, but it is a John Carpenter film. It's not a return to Haddonfield, but it is a return to Haddonfield. <laughs> it is Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. There you go. Fantastic. I like. It is just such a enjoyable Halloween film. And it does, it smacks of... Children of the Corn and um, uh, Dagon and any of those Silent Hill, any of those movies, if you like it, when a, when strangers come to town and the town is weird. Yeah. Well, even nobody knows why. Similar to Silent Night, Deadly Night 5, the toy maker. Like the toy maker, the, yeah. The evil toy maker. But um, it is, I feel in my mind, it is more Halloween themed than any of the Halloween movies. Like because, oh yeah, it is. It yeah. is. The other ones are just set in Halloween, whereas this one, Halloween, is a major plot. It's like Die Hard being a Christmas movie. Yeah, yeah. Other Halloween movies. Yeah. Whereas this one is a Halloween film, and it is. It's such a. Like, if you're an adult, and specifically a childless adult, it is like <laughs> you're like yes, you kind of Tom Atkins is the villain. Yep. Yep. It's just, a, and it's it's an early. It's actually an early take on the um, benevolent corporation kind yep. of movie. Yes, absolutely. And and the backstory as well is interesting because John Carpenter didn't want his franchise to be a Michael Myers franchise. He wanted yeah. every single installment to be a new Halloween story, like something that takes place at Halloween or revolves around it. And because it's it's Nick Castle, was Nick Castle who who... Who did Halloween 3? No, it was Tommy oh, Lee Wallace. Tommy Lee Wallace is the other one. Yeah. So it's Tommy Lee Wallace, and he was supposed to do Halloween 2. Mm. But the studio wanted Michael Myers yep. back, and they paid him so much money that John Carpenter was like, yeah, all right, I have to kind of do it. And and Tommy Lee, Tommy Lee Wallace said no. Mm. He didn't want it because he didn't want to do a Michael Myers one. Yep. But it was ba- you know, it basically they said, okay, we'll do this number two. If you let us do number three the yep. way we, yeah, and that and just that, never so... took off because everybody did want Michael Myers in the end. Well, yeah, yeah, which I think it, it probably would have been different had it been had they done it as Halloween too. Yeah, and people got the idea that it's an anthology, it's it's a you mm. know anthology anthology series set around Halloween, not a mm. you know. But it was I look, it was inevitable. Yeah, totally. You know that character was going to. 
come back for what 13 14 films <laughs> what a great franchise yeah. though it is good all righty mm. so my next one is the i was gonna say the first of a two-part tribute but i guess arachnophobia was a tribute too but i'm going down the julian sands road again and i'm gonna pay tribute to him and what? anthony hickox with warlock armageddon see yeah I, I honestly i cannot remember warlock armageddon but I remember Warlock. Yes, well, Warlock. Cool. Warlock in itself is probably more of a Halloween film because of the the um the old England. What is it? Um, what's it, the Boston setting and you know yeah, the trials, the, Salem, the, Salem the whole trials, Salem witch trials. Yeah, yeah, that very much so. Whereas Part Two deals more with druids, um, and and rune stones and things like that. But I do love the atmosphere of armageddon it's a different beast it is not the same as warlock and i do recall this is one of the very first r-rated films i ever snuck into at the cinemas uh (laughs) when it was that i don't remember what i lied about going to see and ended up you know this is the days where they started putting one usher at the the ticket um podium yeah and there was no one looking after the door that was it yeah so i could just walk in that's how that is the only reason I saw the first Fast and Furious movie. <laughs> I just walked in and I had to ask someone else. I was like, oh, sorry, what movie is this? Oh, yeah, I'm in the right cinema. Thanks. <laughs> I mean, because another one I snuck into um, was Natural Born Killers. And I had told <laughs> my parents I was off to see Ace Ventura. And I'd already seen that. Um, but anyway, so yeah, look, I, I do love Warlock Armageddon. I talk about it all the time. It is not a good film as far as, you know, it's not a masterpiece or anything like that. It's a very cheap looking film. The special effects are very stodgy, but it's just got so much charm to it. It's a different kind of Warlock. I like the way Julian Sands plays it. I love the um, the characters. Once again, Paula Marshall's in there. The guy that is in Lethal Weapon, he's the chief. Um, he's Richard Donner's brother or cousin in real life. Yeah, he's right. in it. I don't know his name. You've got Bruce Glover is in there. Like, it's just a great cast. And how does it stand up to Bruce Payne in <laughs> 3? Warlock 3 is a shocker. Like, I'm always shocked to know that they made it as Warlock 3. It feels like another movie they shoehorned the title into. Yeah. Because it doesn't relate to Warlock at all. But um, apparently it was made as a Warlock 3. It just blows my mind. No, I, I, I just find it hilarious that Bruce Payne's early career was basically playing yeah. Like, who do you get if you can't afford Julian Yeah, that's Zand? right. That's right. And who can't afford to get Julian Sands? But, I mean, if you are going to replace Julian Sands, he is a great actor to do it with. But to do it with? Oh, it yeah. makes the story a warlock story. It's, it's just not. Yeah. It's just not. Anyway. Yeah. There you go. So, Julian Sands, Anthony Hickox, rest in peace. Well, look, my uh, fourth film, I mentioned it earlier. Uh, it is John Carpenter's 2001. <laughs> Absolute... <laughs> Space opera classic, <laughs> Ghosts of Mars. Yes, 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 that, indeed. The movie that seemingly no one on the internet but but <laughs> us likes. Uh, and admittedly, look, you know, I can, I can, I can admit its flaws, mm-hmm. and the main one is probably the performances. <laughs> you know, it's very much like watching Ghosts of Mars. You always think back to Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford's infamous comment on the set of Star Wars to George Lucas. They're like, you can write this shit, George, but you sure as shit can't say it. And that <laughs> is the case for poor Natasha. Poor Natasha, uh, not Natasha Henstridge. Richardson. Henstridge. Natasha Henstridge. Even Ice Cube. And some of the stuff is like, you know, it's like <laughs> built for him to say. But yeah, but she was, look, she was a last minute ringer. It was supposed to be Courtney Love. 
it does have its thing. It, you know, Jason Statham, it's the sleazy role he was born to play. <laughs> yes. Pam Greer. It's, it's great. Clear to Pam Greer, Clear Duval. Yeah. You know, um, Revenge of the Nerds, uh, Carradine. Robert Carradine. Robert Carradine. Uh, that's Joanna Cathy. Two Robert Carradine mentions Robert. in two weeks on this show. Yeah. Wow. That's, you just need to keep him. He you just need to keep his career alive. Next week, I'll be talking about number one with a bullet. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was also in John Carpenter's Body Bags. He was indeed. Is yeah. that on your list? Because that's a great Halloween. Oh, no, it's film. not. I forgot about Body Bags. That's a really good Halloween. Uh, that's what happens when you don't do it with IMDb. You just do it off the top of your head. Yeah. Um, but yeah, look, just to, like from start to finish, that is a that is a. A theatrical <laughs> experience of a film. Yep. Uh, like that whole, the opening scene of the train coming into Mars, into, yep. into the, driving through the red desert. It's like a, you know, it's like the opening of Bad Day at Black Rock, except yep. not in Do the know, middle of the day. It's I, just a, everything I think, about it. I think most people's perception of its greatest flaw is actually its greatest asset. And that is the fact that it does look very much like a soundstage movie, right? Yeah. It's like a very, you know, um, artificial kind of set. But that, to me, I love that shit. It makes it throw back to the 50s. It feels like a B-movie. Yeah. Um, great analogy there with uh, Black Rock. Um, yeah, fucking... Yeah. I do love that film. I know I've shat on it, like, when we've talked in the past, but I, <laughs> I have such a soft spot for it. Don't get me wrong. Uh, anyway, so my next one, speaking of anthologies, is, and we spoke about this, I think, a couple of weeks ago, From a Whisper to a Scream, 1987, the Jeff Burr movie. So this is my my other little tribute here. I just think it's probably his best movie. It is another anthology that I think was overshadowed at the time it got released by things like Creepshow and Cat's Eyes and Twilight Zone. It's sort of This one just went under the radar and kind of disappeared. And only in the last maybe 15 years has it resurfaced as a bit of a cult classic. Um... I just think the consistency of all the stories in this one are better than any of those other um, anthology films. It's pretty hardcore too. It goes into some pretty extreme territory. And mm. once again, you got Vincent Price in there, which I don't believe he liked the film at all because it was too crass for his liking. I don't think he liked the vulgarity of the gratuitous violence and, and the gore. But I just think it really announced Jeff Burr as one of the great horror filmmakers and I just don't think he ever got his due credit simply because of all the, the sequels that most people consider to be Drek. So, From Whisper to a Scream, 1987. Can't go wrong. <clears throat> my my last movie in this block uh, is, and I didn't choose, the, I know, I think, I'm surprised, I'm, I wouldn't, I won't be surprised if you bring up the, the original, I'm going to talk about the sequel. I think, Jar- I can't remember, I, it literally was like yesterday, <laughs> Flash, we just played it. I can't remember if Jarrett brought it up, but it is uh, the original. But for me, <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 yeah. is the, uh, especially it, because it's such a departure from the from the gritty realism of the original to a kind of a neon-infused, you know, over-the-top comedic horror film. But we still, like, some genuinely, like that, the... The scene on the bridge is genuinely terrifying. <laughs> the one that goes on forever. It's the longest forever. bridge in cinema history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is great. Yep. The 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 phallic chainsaw fucking scene in yep. the radio station. Yep. Yeah, uh, you know, the chainsaw battle with Dennis Hopper. Yeah, you know, a cowboy had a Dennis Hopper. 
Like these are iconic moments in cinema history, and I just love this film. I really do too. It's and it's funny, like because Jeff Burr directed part three, so you've tied that in nicely there. But mm. part two is wonderful. It's the antithesis of the first movie. It's the it's the answer that Toby Hooper had for people that said the first one was the most violent thing they've ever seen. He's like, yeah. you know, if you think that was violent, it wasn't. This then, is then violent. This. Yeah. yeah. And it's hilarious. And I think all of that that <clears> catacomb <throat> underground stuff is very Halloween-y with all the decorations and lights that are strung up. You could almost call it a Christmas movie too if you wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Stretch is such a great character. The the other guy that works in the um in the radio station. <laughs> yeah, he's great. <laughs> he's great. Is he Tex? Is that his name? Is it Tex? I can't oh, remember what he is. Um, and when he's when he has his face ripped off and he's still gurgling like, "Oh, I love you, darling. <laughs> I love you, girl. <laughs> I love you, girl." And Bill Mosley. Let's not forget Bill Mosley. This introduced him to us. Yeah, it's chop top. Oh, what a character! Lick my brain, you dog, dick. <laughs> <laughs> and the chili. Oh, the, God. Uh, the chili competition at the start. Yeah, I have you to thank. You screened this at Lido one year, and I went and saw it there. And um, my nostalgia for this overflows. It was the first banned movie that I illegally obtained. Right. <laughs> yeah. Back in the day, this was banned for a very long time. And to get a copy, you had to import it. But back in those days, importing was a bit of a big deal. Like, you know, there was the yeah. risk of getting caught and all this kind of stuff. And I just remember getting my grubby hands on it. And it was just magical. Absolutely magical. I like it as much as part one, even though I think part one is the masterpiece. Whew, part two, though. And that, that fucking poster with the Breakfast Club. Yeah, it's a genius. We could talk about this all marketing. night. Yep. Genius marketing for it. Yeah. Bloody oath. All-time classic. And that is it. Is that your five? That's my five. All right, let's see what Melzi's on about. on this Halloween Eve. It's Melzy Begg from the Melbourne Horror Film Society. I thought that I would take this opportunity to get inside your earballs and talk about my three favourite movies for Halloween. You can put away your notepad, put away your pen. I'm not going to talk about anything that's going to be groundbreaking. There's not going to be any deep cuts because I feel like Halloween is the time that we go for our favourites, the classics, those movies that act like a warm blanket that you just want to wrap yourself in. And so here are my top three. So starting off with Halloween 3 season of The Witch. It's just a fucking banger. You've got the masks. How good are those fucking masks? They're iconic these days. Um, you've got Dr. J Dan Chalice, sexy Dr. Dan Chalice, having sex with fucking everyone in town. <laughs> it's so fucking good. Oh, my God. It is insane. How did they get away with that? But he nibbling on her nipple and oh it's amazing it's just wild and then of course the iconic 
song. One more day till Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. One more day to Halloween, Silver Shamrock. And apologies for my voice, not just singing-wise, but I my voice is sounding very spooky at the moment, so it's kind of very apt. Um, secondly... Now, I do, I've been doing Halloween movies with my five-year-old. So, of course, I had to get him in on this question. And this morning we had a big chat about it. He did start off by saying, can we watch Ghostbusters again soon? And I said, fuck yeah, we can. Then the conversation went on to, you know, so what would be your recommendation? What do you think is the, you know, the best film that we've watched at Halloween? And he went with Nightmare Before Christmas. And I mean, how can you argue with that? Jack Skellington, he is going to be going as Jack Skellington next week and um, or tomorrow even. Um, oh, it's just so, 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 so good. The music, it makes me cry. That's not a huge shock, but um, yeah, it's, it's so amazing. And I really love being able to share these movies with him and this time of year with him. And I'm so glad that he loves it so much. And I mean, he really doesn't have any choice, but I'd fucking cast him out if he didn't. Thirdly, I mean, but thirdly, but going backwards, number one, number one with a bullet is the OG, 1978, John Carpenter's Halloween. There's a reason that it's a classic. There's a reason that it's still, you know, ongoing. It's the the Michael Myers without any backstory. It's the Michael Myers that is the shape. Take note. Anybody, oh, who, who's it going to now? Miramax. Oh, my God. The simpleness of it. The characters. Deborah Hill. We got, we've got to thank for that one. It's just, you know, it's just amazing. There, what is Halloween without Halloween? Um, I just want to throw in, I'm going to throw in a fourth and I'm going to suggest The Cabin in the Woods. I know we've all seen it, but it is just, it's got so much in it and that's that's also what we want at Halloween, you know? Like if you can throw something on and it's, and it's got, and you've got the kids going to the cabin in the woods. You've got the control room, which is my favourite element of it. Oh, my God, I love them so much. So funny. The humour. You've got the gore at the end. Bloody the blood fest. The merman. Oh, it's just, it's just so good. I love it so much. Happy Halloween, everyone, and I will talk to you soon. How's that? That's good. All right, excellent. <laughs> Thank you, Melzy. Yeah. Fantastic little uh, surprise there for people and some great choices. Oh, she doubled down there with Season of the Witch, Ben. Can't go wrong with Season of the Witch. Knows a classic when she sees my... one. I mean, I do have to question Cabin in the Woods being in there, but, you know, that's all right. I know she loves it. That's okay. You know, we're not all perfect. <laughs> Cabin in the Woods, Cabin in the Woods, you know, love it or hate it, because of, because of its Joss Whedon connection, mm. it actually, it, uh, it is responsible for a lot of people getting into horror Yep. who started off like Buffy was the gateway. Yep. Totally. Cabin, Cabin of the Woods kind of busted it open, like the move, the transition from, yes, from yes. lame TV. And now we're going to get mail to, <laughs> <laughs> to, to cinema. I know. I mean, they could have taken the other gate and gone down the Pixar road. Cause he didn't, he write toy story or one of those. Ooh. Yeah. 
yeah, and and you know, look, he, he and he wrote uh, you know Avengers. So look, there are some crimes against cinema that he is, <laughs> you know, responsible for. <laughs> Anyway, um, it's great to hear from Melzi. She has not been on the show for quite a long time now, but she will be here next week because it is... uh, The last time she was supposed to be on the show happened to be grand final weekend and her team was playing in the grand final. And so she ditched us, you know, priorities, we understand, I I guess. It's it's amazing (laughs) that the worst thing to happen to to AFL coincided with uh, a terrible thing happening to Good Movie Monday. (laughs) Thanks, Melzy. We do appreciate it. All right, Ben, we've got five more. I'm going to mm-hmm. go first. Have you heard of this even? I bet a lot of people haven't. 2005, there was a movie called Mirror Mask. That's my next I have one. heard about it. Isn't this uh, Neil Gaiman? Yes. So written by Neil Gaiman. But the interesting thing about this, it was originally supposed to be, and some people still consider it to be, the final installment of Jim Henson's fantasy trilogy. So Dark Crystal, Labyrinth, and then Mirror Mask. Right. And if you watch it in that context, it flows perfectly. Um, I think they kind of gave up on that concept just before they filmed it, but a lot of the fans have latched onto that and sort of, you know, go with it. It's a very strange, nightmarish kind of movie, very similar to to Labyrinth, I guess. It's about a girl that falls into this um, world of monsters and make-believe and... The interesting thing about this, though, even though it's a Jim Henson production, they're all digital creatures. So it's one of those really, really heavily saturated, um, almost like, um, I don't know how you describe this kind of animation, but it is digital CG, but it washes over everything. You know, so it's almost like um, it's all shot on green screen and she's amongst it, if that makes sense. So the girls are human, everything else around her is CG, but it just is beautiful, quite scary. I think that's why I never actually watched it because it reminded me too much of the computer game yep. Planetscape, Planescape, yep. which yep. was like a um, kind of horror computer game. And I always, I never liked that style of animation. Yep. Yep. No, that <clears> makes I sense. Realize, I didn't realize that it tied into to those other two. So now I'll have to give it a watch. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, it was supposed to. And I just, uh, I like the idea of thinking of it that way when you do watch it. But yeah, Mirror Mask, everybody, check it out. When it got a DVD release back in the day, it was quite a good release. It had like a slipcase to it, two different art versions. Um, and it's all shot in England too. So it's a British set film, which, you know, is different as well because Labyrinth was very American, if you will. Uh, anyway, so yeah, that's it. That's my next one. Uh, well, for me, look, <clears throat> this, this uh, batch... This, this group of films I've entitled The New Batch. <laughs> nice. They're all relatively recent. Yep. Relatively recent um, horror films. And uh, <clears throat> this one was the opening night of Monster Fest. It's When Evil Lurks. We both saw it. I was just so totally impressed by this film. Um, directed by Damien Runga. It is, I believe, premiering on Shudder. Uh, it premiered on Shadow on last Friday. Right. You've got a Shadow subscription. You should be able to watch it. Um, and it is really, it's super gross and gory, and uh, like it has a great kind of story. It has some surprise shocks. It's you know, it's really built its own world. It's just, just a really fantastic film, and definitely worth checking out. It won. I think it. I think it picked up uh, best film at Sitges. Uh, in the last week or so, um, and, and if you haven't, if you didn't get to Monster Fest, uh, check it out on Shutter. I do believe that a physical release is coming via Rialto, 
later in the either later in this year or early next year. So if if you're more that way inclined, you don't want to watch, you don't have a shutter subscription, mm. you can, you will be able to get it physically uh, soon. Brilliant. I adored this film. I was surprised by how equally shocking and how thoroughly entertaining it is. It's quite fun. And yet what you're seeing on screen is not fun. Like, you know, it's just yeah. so interesting. It reminded me actually of, oh, I've forgotten the name of it, a movie we watched last year about those kids in the, the complex, you know, and they're evil. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> that didn't have any lightness to it. This feels like that kind of tone. Oh, hang on. The tower. Are you talking about the tower? No, no, no. Remember the, there's a really awful cat scene and, um, the innocence. The innocence. That's it. Check it out, everybody. Um, that's just a little bonus for you there. <laughs> it's really dark, yeah. but my point being that um, where, where the evil lies is that kind of tone, but they've thrown lightness at it anyway. Yeah. Good stuff, mate. I don't know how to bridge that to the next one because I'm going with Bad Channels from 1992, the full moon production. Now, this yeah, is right. a Halloween movie and a half directed by Ted Nicolau about two aliens that invade uh, or crash a radio station uh, in order to capture women by using radio waves. It's just so dumb and silly. It's very fun, over the top, very puppet heavy, very you know, driven by miniatures and things like that. Got a rock and roll attitude. There's a lot of music video influence in there. It's. I believe it's also it's connected to... Yes, uh, it belongs in the same universe as Doll Man and Demonic Doll Toys. Man. Yeah. Um, in fact, the miniature women in Bad Channels, I think, are in Dollman 2, which is, I think, yeah. versus Harmonic <clears throat> Toys. So, anyway, Bad Channels is such a fun movie. And if you've never seen it, I think it's on the Full Moon channel, which is is that Prime, I think it might be on. Yep. Check it out. If you like really short, uh, cheesy horror films that are more comedies than horror, it goes for 70 minutes, maybe even less. It's just... Yeah, bang for buck. Love it. And that to me is the epitome of uh, Halloween. It's, you know, PG, it's fun, it's colourful, a little bit gory. Good stuff. Classic. Um, well, my next, my next film is a quick one. It, Hubie Halloween. <laughs> yes. It is, uh, it is a perfect... Yeah, I think it's actually the oldest of all the films in this block coming out <laughs> in 20, <laughs> way back when, 2020. <laughs> I think I said it last time, him riding that bike down the street right at the start of the film when everyone's throwing shit at him. Yeah. Comedy gold. Comedy gold. All right, so I'm going to go with um, Sam Raimi's Drag Me to Hell as my next one. Classic. Uh, which is interesting because this, for me, was very exciting at the time because it was Sam Raimi getting back to the gross and grotty horror roots that he came from after doing a whole string of blockbuster crap. You know, I mean, it wasn't all crap, but he was making big Hollywood blockbusters, which is not what his fans love him for. And so well, I thought, yeah. Like, I remember, like, really wanting to like, uh, uh, what was the one he made with Billy Bob Thornton? Oh, and it's, it's basically Macbeth. Simple plan. Simple plan. Yeah. I remember desperately wanting to like it more than I did. <laughs> and thinking, uh, just yeah. go go back to horror, Sam. No, and then, yeah. then he did Spider-Man's and I was like, he's never going back to horror now. Yeah, and he kind of drifted back a bit with the gift when he did that. And I was like, mm. oh, yeah. But then he went back into the big stuff. And when Well, we all have a big thank you for the gift. <laughs> we know it. <laughs> Another shot. <laughs> But, I mean, Drag Me to Hell, though, came along just out of the blue. I remember that. Yeah. I remember thinking, Jesus, like, this is really 
depraved and gory and it's the kind of movie he made back in the 80s it's evil dead really and yeah. it doesn't um doesn't skimp on the the gross stuff and that was what's exciting and he's not really returned to that albeit um as a producer he's produced you know evil dead rise and ash versus evil dead and that kind of stuff so he's still got his finger in yeah. the pie but it's nice to see him behind the director's chair you know doing it mm. so there you yes, go yes. the hell. good halloween fun film uh my next one is uh black phone Oh, mate, awesome. Which I really rate. Yep. Uh, the, and it's one of those ones too. The Like, I loved it when I first saw it, but the more I think about it, the more I like it. Yes, yes. Like, it just contains so much of that kind of, of the stuff that, you know, a movie like that, like, you know, and unfortunately, there wasn't enough room on this list for me to include Barbarian as well, because that kind of sits in that. Sure, sure. That same thing. But I actually think... I think after, in the first watch, I enjoyed Barbarian more. Yeah. But thinking about it, I think Black Phone. It's better. And it pips it for me. Yep, I agree completely. It's what I liked about it. Aside from the supernatural element, it's a very real film. Like the the way yeah. these kids behave and and the brutality of the schoolyard is very much how I remember it from the eighties. And you know the thing is too is like if you watch Black Phone, Black Phone is kind of set in the seventies. Yep. And you can feel that. You know, Haddonfield yeah. vibe about the town or Derry. Yep. You know, it's very much a 70s horror town. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know? And I think what a lot of kids of today don't have, you know, which is a good thing, is the stranger danger that we had back in the day, right? Like back then, stranger danger was much more real and terrifying than what it is now, even though there's probably more to fear now. I think kids yeah. are a lot more protected. But in our day, because kids roamed the streets, did what they wanted, didn't have to come home till the lights went on. Because your parents were, both your parents were working. Well, that's right. Latchkey kids. And so every second house was like a safety house, you know, that had a little sticker on the letterbox saying, if you're in trouble, we'll let you in. And then suddenly the, the pedophiles and serial killers realized they could do that too. You yeah. know, so that got scary. You had the whole, you know, don't take candy from strangers. All that kind of stuff was really instilled in the 70s and 80s. And I think this film epitomizes that so well. I mean, it's one of those things that when you think about now and you're like, who, like, you don't need to say it because who doesn't know it? It's like, yep. you know, it's like, don't, you know, smoking kills and yep. wear a condom so you don't get yep. an STD. Yeah. You know, you kind of, these things that you kind of now, you just immediately yep. wear like, a seatbelt. Of course, it's common sense. Yeah. Whereas then, you know, like it was completely okay prior in the 60s. Mm hmm to hitchhike across America and, you know, nothing would happen to you. Yep. Every maybe, single... Maybe a little rape, but nothing... Uh... <laughs> Every single house back then left their doors unlocked like it was just the way it was. Yeah. And that, you know, the Clint Eastwood's movie The Changeling is another one to show you how innocent society was back then and yet yeah. evil lurked. Like it was... All, the evil was never not there. It's just yeah. society was much more innocent. Anyway, so that's yeah. a great one. The reporting system just wasn't there. Yeah, yeah. What a great film. The Changeling is a totally fucked up film like that. Yeah, totally. That ending in the house yep. is just... I agree. Yeah, just I've, amazing. I've been trying to successfully um, get Chloe into the horror world because she obviously came on board and she hated, Clora. she hated horror straight from the outset and just didn't want anything to do with it. And now she's actually diving into horror and enjoying it. And Black Phone and Barbarian were the two that got her across the line. Um, she mm. particularly liked Black Phone. And, you know, it is, yeah, it's just a great film. Good one, man. I'm glad, I don't have it on my list, so I'm glad that's there. My next one is a very disturbing film as well and one that just coincidentally popped up elsewhere in my world last week and I couldn't believe it. It's called The Freak Maker from 1974. 
It was originally called The Mutations. Have you heard of this? Not a lot of people have. It's Donald Pleasance as a mad scientist who's trying to crossbreed plants with humans and he kidnaps college girls to do his experiments on and um, it's grotesque. Like it isn't like an R-rated film. Like these experiments with the plants, like before he perfects his craft, he has to make mistakes and there's all these mutated women that have like really gross roots and plants coming out of their flesh uh, and it's just grotesque and fun. It's very fun. That's the aim of it. And it was heavily, I believe, influenced by Todd Browning's Freaks um, with a little bit of Frankenstein in there too. But I was going to say, surely I learned Dr. Moreau. That too? Well, I can yeah. definitely see that. I never really thought of that, but yes. But interestingly... Well, you saying that reminds me of the South Park parody of Island of Dr. Moreau <laughs> where he's making the, no, it doesn't have four asses. There's a, there's a society. <laughs> That's right. But this is the the really weird part. So I'd already sort of put this on my list last week, ready to go. And I was watching um friend of the podcast, Weird Paul, on TikTok, right? And every Friday he does live streams and he goes through his collection of movies or music and he picks a year and he shows you everything he's got from that year. It's a fantastic live that he does. And he was doing movies from 1974 and then suddenly he just pulls out a Blu-ray of The Freak Maker. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I have not thought about this movie for maybe 20 years. I've never heard it talked about. We do a podcast every week. It's never been mentioned. And suddenly, boom, I've put it on my list and then he pulls out the Blu-ray. I'm like, it was meant to be. So, The Freak Maker, 1974. And don't forget, 1974 was the year we had Texas Chainsaw Massacre and um, Deranged and things like that. So, it was a good time for grotesque movies. And um, I highly recommend it. Now I know there's a Blu-ray, I want it. Just a, a lovely zeitgeist moment (laughs) but donald pleasance you know we all know when donald pleasance goes crazy it's it's a thing of beauty it's uh yeah like yeah (laughs) yes indeed (laughs) i was just about to i was about to say something that hasn't actually been announced (laughs) not not to do with this film but another donald pleasance film i know where you're going but you can continue Um, elsewhere all right carry on uh look my my next one is a film that both of us enjoyed. It's a sequel that I think is superior to the original, though I thoroughly enjoyed the original, which was a surprise to me. It is The Orphan 2 First Kill Bloody uh, from last year. What a fucking banger of a film with a great twist. Uh, yeah, totally. Done well. Definitely, if you if you didn't see it on 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 release then it's perfect time to see it even if you did it's a perfect time to revisit a year later this movie Um, this movie hit really hard for you and i because it really caught us off guard i remember how off guard we were yeah and it's primarily because of the performance of julia styles yeah you're watching the film and for the first half you're like geez she i remember loving her in 10 things i hate about you and like she's really become a terrible actress (laughs) yeah and then when the plot the plot twist happens you're like, holy shit! Like yeah. this woman deserves an Oscar. That's right. The Oscar, re- <laughs> yeah, recognized horror. Yep, yep. And it's um, it's from the director of um, The Boy. You know that um, which was a fun little film, and I just think this really solidified Boy. him as a as a director to really keep watching. Oh, good one, man! Once again, not on my list, but I was browsing um a certain retail store the other day and almost picked it up. Oh. Yes, picked up some other stuff instead. Anyway, so... Part of the two for 20 sale? Oh, they, they, 
may have a certain percentage off at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my next one, uh, 1993 Needful Things, a Stephen King adaptation. This is a movie that I love. It's a, I needed to add a bit of Stephen King to this list. And I think this movie, is, it's very generic Stephen King, don't get me wrong, because so many of his films take place in a small town with like um, a stranger coming in and I guess... Um, acting weird and making promises that have consequences. So he's done it before. I think he did it in storm of the century. Um, he's done it somewhere else. And it, it's him essentially plagiarizing Ray Bradbury's um, something wicked this way comes like it's, you know, and it's also, but it's also very much like a, the old curiosity shop type. Yeah. Type vibe to it. The, the oddities. Yeah. The, the yeah. Um, so it, yeah. Is it Max von Sydow plays um, an old man that comes into town with a strange shop and, uh, he just he he gives people um how do you explain this one? I'm trying to He kind of gives them what they want, but what they want has consequences. Yes, it's a very... and it's like a it's always a string of un it's like to a degree, it's like um uh uh final destination. Yeah. In that it's like it's it leads it big it starts a chain reaction. Yes. Yes, you he, know. he infiltrates the town and you've got Ed Harris as the sort of the sort of sheriff character that sort of cottons onto it. Um, I yeah. just like this type of Stephen King thing. Like most of his films or stories take place in, you know, Maine or small town America and uh, very New England feel to it, this one. And that's what makes it very Halloween-y to me. And it's just had um, a Blu-ray release, Vision, I think, put it out in a Stephen King box set. And I don't know if you can get it on its own, but that's one uh, definitely worth getting your hands on. So I remember on, on VHS it was difficult. It was a roadshow release, but I somehow feel like it was... Was it as an exclusive to some no, chain? I, I had that fat clamshell with the bag on the front. Yeah. Yeah, and that was great. Like that was a prized possession for many years for me. That one um sold it with all the rest, regretfully. But um it took me ages to actually find the American DVD because it never got a, a release down here other than that. Awesome. You got one more? Uh yeah, look, this is another one that played at Monster Fest. Uh, you missed it because you uh, couldn't find a car park. <laughs> Come on, lay some more context. You I didn't miss it just because of that. You were like, you, know, you were, it took you, you were, you were trying to find one for 45 minutes, couldn't find one, and then got charged for being in a car park, an underground car park for two seconds. Yep. Which I'm sure is illegal. Like, they're not supposed to charge you for that. It's one of those things where you, you have to push the buzzer and go, I'm not fucking paying this. Let me just say that the uh, the Clock Tower car park in Carlton, um, they let you in saying there's vacancies, but all of those spare car parks are actually reserved uh, for residents or shop owners. And when you drive out again, they charge you, even though you've only been in there for two minutes. $12. Yeah. Ridiculous. So Brandless. I had spent an hour driving in. I had spent an hour driving around looking for a car park. I finally went underground, got charged, and I fucked off home. I'm like, I am done. Done. So there's the context there. So back to your recommendation. Uh, it is uh, <laughs> Joe Lynch's suitable flesh. Oh, and I'm really angry that I did miss it too because I was that was the one movie I was really looking forward to. And look, it, it's it's definitely it's a lot of fun. It really does harken back to a good '80s style horror film, which you know, written by Dennis Paoli and produced by by Brian Yasner. You can you can kind of feel that. But it is it. There's something else about it, and I'm keen. I'm keen for you to check it out, and someone else. And and I did mean to talk to, to Jared about it, but um, I don't think he watched it on the night. Mm-hmm. I don't think he, he he watched the screener, which I I didn't see, so I saw it theatrically. 
for the first time. Um, but there's there's some there's a visual thing going on there that's reminiscent of another director that I think he's done intentionally, and I can't ah. quite figure out who it is. Yes, like yeah, it, it's there's something. It's it's yeah. I'm I'm keen I'm keen to uh, to see it again. It is it is a very it's it's very sexy film. Do we know what the release um, strategy is on this one? How how can we see it? I I'm not sure. It is I believe uh, Rialto. Okay, picked it up for local. Mm-hmm. So whether or not it's going to get a theatrical release post monster fest or will just go out on home end i don't know but it will it will get a local release excellent excellent good one man i'm spewing i miss that but i'm fucking car parks so welcome to this edition of bonehead funsies and the reason i am allowed to do that is because we are joeless this week it is just james and i because like the, there's, a, there's a huge weight off our shoulders did it though like i feel like i can breathe it's just it's nice it's usually we're the ones one of us might have to miss but joe never misses this is nice they can't see this because they're only hearing the audio version i actually have my light on in my office it's usually dark and gloomy because i'm like uh <laughs> no unfortunately joe is having technical issues so he can't be here today but we wanted to do the segment for glenn where we talk about our top three favorite Hall- uh, halloween uh, films. James, do you want to lead us off? I don't have a top three. These are the three that happened to come to mind when I was told we were doing this segment, I should say. <laughs> so don't come back on me later. This film was rated in the top 15 by Total Film recently for best horror movies, and it's it's a classic Vincent Price Witchfinder General. It's probably one of the most sadistic films of the time period. Vincent Price plays a witchfinder or claims to be a witchfinder because he gets paid for bringing in witches. And he is sadistic and evil, and it's a great film. Vincent yeah. Price is so scummy. It's too bad he's such a terrible actor. <gasps> my third I'll pick. Kill you. <laughs> I kill you. <laughs> uh, my my number my my third film is a uh, Child's Play, simply because Chucky is my all time favorite slasher. I I love him more than Freddy. I love him more than Jason. I love him more than Leatherface. I love Chucky simply because you know Leatherface, Jason, Michael Myers, they're just brutes who use their physical strength to, you know, murder. Freddie is only, is Chucky's only rival in that they both have smarmy personalities, but Chucky does it so much better. Now on the fright department, Nightmare on Elm Street, hands down, absolutely terrifying. But I just love the fact, I just love Brad Dourif's Chucky. So that's why it's number three on mine. Well, and you know, this is another one that I, of course, have to bring up. And the reason it makes my list is it did something that no other horror film to this point, that I'm aware of at least, has done. And I'm a huge science fiction fan. Event Horizon gave me exploding eyeballs in space. And that is one of the most creepy scenes because you know what's coming and it just happened. Uh, the, The plot may not be your cup of tea, but the visuals are compelling. The cast, it has a great cast. But the the entire scene where uh, the the young gentleman is convinced to go out in an airlock and let it slowly depressurize uh, is 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 enough for me to recommend the film. If you've not seen it, it just works on me. And it was yeah. something I'd never seen before. Paul Thomas Anderson's best film. Come at me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, yeah. I, I've enjoyed some of his other stuff as entertainment, but Event Horizon sticks with me. 
Uh, my second pick is going to be Ghoulies 2. <laughs> I don't have anything to add, except I find it fascinating that Ghoulies almost has more merchandise now than it did at the time. But Ghoulies 2 has been one of my favorite movies since I was a kid. I was a very timid child. Uh, a lot of stuff scared me. But Ghoulies 2 was just the right amount of scary where I didn't have nightmares and I also could enjoy it. Plus, it had a monster coming out of a toilet, which if you know me, you know me. That's how you want to go. <laughs> My final one is it's probably one of the most beautiful horror films in many ways. And the first half of it is the story of the title character. And, and the quote unquote star doesn't really get much of a role until the second half when he seeks vengeance against a cult that has killed her. And that would be Mandy. Oh, that's a good one. Mandy is, again, may not be your cup of tea, but it's visually compelling. And just the fact that he loses it all. And and the first half of the movie, the actress who played Mandy should have gotten a nomination for an Academy Award. That movie was, the first half of the movie, I went in because I'm a Nick Cage fan, and it was visually compelling. I, was, I wanted to see it from the word go. I did get to see it in theaters. I was alone in the theater. It was a phenomenal experience. But the first half of the movie it is all her story, which makes what happens to her just that much more heartbreaking. And you understand why he realizes it doesn't matter what happens to him after that. One thing James and I share is a as a huge love of Nick Cage ever since we were ever since we were kids. Uh, and uh, Sam Neill is one of my favorite actors of all time. Uh, oh, man, I could have went in the mouth of madness too. Speaking, you of could Sam have, Neill. you could have, but you chose anyway. Event Horizon. Go ahead. Uh, my last pick, and I, this is one of those reasons why I'm glad Joe's not here, because I know he would have stole it from me, and I would have had to pick something else. Uh, Evil Dead 2. Oh, man. I was telling my kids uh, about Evil Dead 2, and I said, it's more of a comedy, but there is something innately unnerving about the deer head laughing. Yes. And the, I'm going to swallow your soul. Yeah. Yeah. Again, perfect film in terms of horror. It's yeah. got the comedy, it's got the scare, and it's nonstop boom, 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 boom. You, If you're watching it for the first time, you literally don't know what's going to happen next. And after the, after the first viewing, you know what's going to happen next, and you look forward to it. And that yeah. says something about a horror film. Uh, so yeah, Evil Dead 2, by the way, special shout out. Uh, it was between Evil Dead 2 and Dead Alive for me, or Brain Dead, depending on your the area you're from. But I, I have to go with uh, the OG Sam Raimi's Evil Dead 2. So this has been our Joe Free uh, episode of Bonehead uh, Fun Size. Funsies. Crap, I messed it up. I never mess it up when he's here. And now that he's here, I, I just I can't say it. Welcome to the uh, Funsies Head Funsies Show. Funsy, Funsy, Funsy. <laughs> okay, well, I guess the sexy has just been taken out of the Bonehead segment. <laughs> how fucking great are those guys though delivering a segment to us at the 11th hour against all odds mad respect really appreciate what they've done there well they had they made time <laughs> that's, that's, they didn't have time they made that's time. going on the poster next year yeah <laughs> good movie monday make the time i hope people have been paying attention or at least taking some notes of what we've been talking about for this episode because there's a lot of films to remember and a lot of films that are just well worth checking out we are in the home stretch now we've got five more each to go and then we're at the end of the show so you've made it this far keep keep with us people keep with us you can do it, you can real. Do it. ben is sick if he can keep up with me then uh, you can all keep up with him <laughs> so here we go so i am going with 
1984 made-for-television horror film called Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. This is the one that has Larry Drake, Charles Durning, Lane Smith. It is an absolute corker of a movie. It is all about a mentally handicapped man who is lynched by a group of rednecks and he comes back as a scarecrow to kill them. And it is diabolical and dark for a made-for-television movie. Like, it is... (laughs) And because it's, like, set in a cornfield on a farm with Scarecrow got a real halloween kind of vibe to it and larry drake is incredible um charles durning always good in these sort of roles and i think uh famously it's the movie that vincent price ended up um championing he uh he watched it you know when it was aired and he um he he went on interviews in the press saying how good this movie is and everyone should check it out so if vincent price vouches for it then it's got to be good. Who the fuck are we not to? And directed by the author of Audrey Rose, of all things. Oh, right. Not not like, you know, the director of the movie. It's the actual author of the yeah, book. The author of the book. Yeah. yeah. And I think right. many years later, as in like possibly like 2018, 2019, he directed a sequel to it, which was just a really stodged piece of shit all directed, like done on like a handheld camera, like just for no money whatsoever, just cashing in on the name. <laughs> I love a good, I love a good name cash in. That's it. All right. Well, what's your, that's what's what your next all good should be. Uh, <clears throat> well, this, this block, uh, I have entitled, uh, wicked and weird. <laughs> uh, cause just, uh, it, it, just some horror, just some some great horror films that are, are bizarre, uh, um, but worth worth making the effort for. The first one uh, I'm going to start with is House by the Edge of the Park, Ooh. which is a notoriously nasty film. With uh, now I can't think of his name, the guy from um, uh, How- Last House on the Left. Um, what's his name? David Hess. David Hess, yes. Uh, David Hess and Giovanni, I can't remember, never remember that guy's last name, but he's in all of the kind of Fulci. Mm-hmm. Um, he's already in a lot of uh, Giovanni Radice. Radice, I think uh, th- that's going to get uh, <laughs> pulled up on that. Um, but it's basically this this mechanic and his dim-witted friend kind of interpose themselves and they're kind of, David, the mechanic is played by David Hess and he's kind of like this violent psychopath. Um, but they interpose themselves on this kind of swanky house party. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, then it, it basically turns into this kind of game of cat and mouse between them and the the party goers. Uh, but there's, there's a bit more to it, but it is just a really kind of vile, nasty... Uh, film, but it has it does have a great dance sequence, and you know what a sucker I am for a great dance sequence. And it's I'm sure that dance sequence is on YouTube. So uh, if you're listening to the show, feel free to pause, jump on YouTube, <laughs> and type in "House in the Edge of the Park" dance sequence. Um, that song will be stuck in your head for 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 weeks after just reinforcing the fact that you do indeed dance into the studio every single week my friend i do yep i usually usually it's the hollywood swinging but uh i want to talk about a brand new one uh that i've spoken to you about off the microphone but it's called spirit halloween aka spooky halloween if you are in australia i prefer the american title and it is a brand new pg rated horror film uh that is set inside a 
Halloween themed department store, which in America is actually called Spirit Halloween. It's a real thing. And they've produced this movie. And these kids are locked inside the department store with a whole lot of props and um, animatronics and costumes that are haunted by an old man that's played by Christopher Lloyd. And this movie is essentially what Five Nights at Freddy's was trying to be. Like, I actually think this one had its heart set on a PG rating and pushed that as far as they possibly could and made it quite scary. Whereas Five Nights at Freddy's should have been a really hardcore R-rated film and they were sort of, um, I guess, victims of the their desire to, I guess, reach a wider audience. It just yeah, didn't it's what it always work. is. Yeah, when, you know... Maximising profits. Yeah, which that doesn't work with horror. Like, when, when it comes to horror, the, the audience knows what it wants. You've got to sort of give them what they want. But So, Spirit Halloween, if you were disappointed by Five Nights at Freddy's, check this one out. It is fantastic. It's sort of a combination of things. It's got to be a Stranger Things in there. It's definitely got Goonies in there. Um, there's a lot of gremlins being in the department store and the actual characters that are possessed by this old bloke are scary. They really are quite horrific. And if you look up Google, just look up some images, you'll be like, that's a PG movie. Fuck, you're dead. So Spirit Halloween, check it out. Brand new. I highly recommend it from our friends at Eagle Entertainment of all places. And can I say, I, I'm enjoying the return, the using of the phrase, fuck me dead. <laughs> incredibly appropriate i use it so often in my everyday life dude yeah i mean fuck me dead (laughs) (laughs) my second film and it's a film that i've talked about i think i've actually talked about most of these films on the show at one time or another um it is a 1977 southern gothic classic called scalpel Uh, arrow have released this on blu-ray uh and if you haven't picked it up, I highly recommend it. It is a fucking weird plastic surgery, incesty murder kind of film about mm-hmm. this. It's about this this plastic surgeon who has uh, an estranged daughter and and um he's got a well to do. I remember who like he's got a well-to-do. I think it's, I think it's his mother or his father. He's kind of estranged from his parents as well. They hate him. They think he's like a super, um, a greedy kind of crass. Uh, you know, even though he's a he's a like a you know he's the head plastic surgeon of this hospital, they find him personally repugnant. His family and they they think they're they're bringing the the family name into disrepute, and that's you know one of the reasons why the daughter has disappeared as well um but he basically manipulates the death of his father and because it, and but his father has left the estate and all the money of the family money to his estranged daughter and then one night he um they get this emer- this Jane Doe comes into the hospital who's been horribly beaten up by um these thugs trying to rape her and uh, he kind of, he talks to her and he, he comes up with this kind of harebrained scheme to make her look like his lost daughter. And then they will inherit the, they'll get the the mansion and all the money. And yeah, it, everything's fine. But then they end up having this romantic relationship, <laughs> even though she looks exactly like his daughter. Yeah. And so it gets really weird. And then, and they're living like, a, you know, they're having a good time. And then his actual daughter shows up and he has to explain 
who is who and then and that's when things really get weird it's a really great yeah you've super nasty you've sold me it's not i yeah. haven't seen it but i do know the imagery and i always think um there's an image that's quite famous and iconic of the, the bandages all over the face and i keep mm. thinking like the movie the skin i live in is very much yeah. that kind very of thing much, yeah, very even similar. there's like a little bit of dr fibes vibe going on um yeah, yeah, I haven't seen it, but I, I definitely want to now. So I'll, I'll, I'll next, next time I'm well enough to, to come around, I'll, I'll bring the Blu-ray with me. It's about time that you borrowed some movies off me. Seeing as usual, <laughs> I'm just borrowing movies off you all the time. Awesome, sounds good. Uh look, usually I don't like anthology films that much. I know I've mentioned a couple already, but um, one that really does tickle my fancy was Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which is the Andre Ovidal film. I could have sworn you were going to mention Trick or Treat. Ah, uh, no. You know, look, I don't mind that one, but I don't particularly love it either. Oh, I thought you loved that one. No, look, it's okay. I prefer uh, Tales from Halloween, as Jarrett was saying. And um, just you know, a little bit of uh, behind the curtains here. I've got a sneaky lolly thief in the office right now. Oh. Taking all my lollies. Taking all my lollies. <laughs> <laughs> I just flipped the camera around so Ben could see. She looked like the Grinch, like fucking pinching presents. I like that she froze. <laughs> like I couldn't I, for a second there. I couldn't see her because she wasn't moving because I've got T Rex vision. <laughs> anyway, back to the show. Uh, this movie I think is one of the better anthology films. It's definitely a terrifying film. The imagery in it is just really, really scary stuff. And, um, and Andre Overdale, I think you know he was like a horror master in the making. And Dracula Demeter came along and kind of sort of really popped the balloon for me. Like it really sunk him a little bit. So I hope he gets back to, I think he's doing a st scary stories in the dark too. So that would maybe get him back on track in my, in my books. But is, is Dracula Voyage of the Demeter like a studio? Like that's his kind of. Yeah. That's the autopsy thing. Of, autopsy of Jane Doe was his like American mm. kind of debut. And then. Yeah. Look, there's a lot of interference with Hollywood. Dracula. And they always, they always run afoul when they go, like if you don't come up through the studio system, it is yeah. true. It is true. And one thing, one thing that, that Dracula did prove was that he can put an image to camera, like or to screen. You know, mm. he can he can really shoot a good looking film. So I just hope he really gets back to a bit of an um, an auteur realm. And um, scary stories to tell in the dark is just a banger. It's a really great Halloween film. Well, my next one is once again I've talked about it on the show. It is a really fucking weird movie. Uh, it is Bloodbeat. From 1983. I don't know it. I do not know it. <clears throat> you don't know. I've talked. I have talked about it on the show before, but it was a while ago. It is. It's just fucking weird. It's it's a rural horror film, mm -hmm. and uh, basically this this guy um, he brings his college girlfriend uh, home for Thanksgiving or some some holiday. Of course. Yep. His family live in this kind of this, you know, in the outskirts of this rural village, and like it's you know snow everywhere, and his uh, his mother's like this kind of kooky artist with kind of psychic abilities, um, and you know they haven't talked for, you know for a while since they since he's been off at college and stuff, and he's never introduced her to his family before, but she kind of comes into this house and then she starts having these weird um kind of psychosexual dreams mm -hmm. and while she's having these dreams this 
manifestation of a samurai warrior appears <laughs> and kills people. I am having deja vu, I gotta tell you, yeah. from when you mentioned so the, it last the, time. The hornier, the hornier she gets in her dreams, the more violent <laughs> kills. It yep. is it is it is fucking great. It, right. it just it's another one Arrow, I think Arrow have put it out on uh mm-hmm. Blu-ray. So it is available. I've got it on Thorn EMI released it on VHS back here in Australia back in the day with a very, I have to say, uninviting cover. Yeah. Uh, but it is it is one of the more bizarre kind of low. I remember you now bringing this horrible. up, and the first thing I did is I jumped on Google and I went, Oh, I know that poster. So yes, this movie yeah. does strike a chord. I just did the same thing again, having forgotten the first time I did it. And yeah, the poster I, I grew up with that in video stores, but I've never ever seen it. Maybe this time I'll have to watch it. <laughs> this time we'll get around to it, yeah. Look, it's, uh, Bring it I over. promised I was going to watch that movie that you talked about last week. Uh, that's on YouTube, and uh, I ran out of time, and now I can't remember the title. Oh, that's right. Um, oh, no, I've forgotten it too. But um, We'll save that for off. off. All right. Well, in that case, we'll move on to my, my second to last one, and it is a brand new one as well. It is currently, I believe, on Netflix. It's called Wendell and Wild. And this is the brand new Henry Selleck movie. Henry Selleck, if you don't know, is the guy that directed A Nightmare Before Christmas and he did um, Monkey Bone and I think Coraline. This is his first movie since Coraline and he's back into that gothic, weird, wonderful stop animation kind of thing. And it's all about a a girl, a 13-year-old girl who convinces... um, No, it's actually about demons that convince a 13-year-old girl to summon them into the land of the living. You know so, I like movies about 13-year-old girls, man. <laughs> Do you want to walk that back? Yeah, no. I'm just you know, I was just I was thinking about I was thinking about uh his great joke in Emu War, Harold Holt. <laughs> yeah. Opening joke. Yeah, I won't spoil. If you haven't seen Emu War, check it out when that comes out. But uh, they do Harold Holt has a icebreaker gag that involves <laughs> a room full of 12-year-old boys, which is hilarious. It is. Um, and that this was a one, to that joke. Wendell and Wild is a kid's movie, so um, we'll just tone it down a little bit for this part. But yeah. um, So <laughs> the, the thing about Henry Selleck is that he was kind of fucked over back in the day when he did Nightmare Before Christmas because Tim Burton swooped in and took all the credit. And everybody assumes that that's a Tim Burton movie when it's not. Tim Burton conceived the story. I don't think he even wrote the screenplay. Um, and just influenced the look and the style of it. But it was Henry Selleck that made it. Henry Selleck then bounced back with James and the Giant Peach, which Tim Burton did produce as well, but kind of started to get his own own hook into this sort of style of animation. And Coraline really cemented him as, you know, this is the guy, this is his auteur, this is his his style. And Wendell and Wilde just picks up that um, that baton and keeps running with it. And it's it's a great Halloween treat. Like I said, I think it's Netflix, but it's well worth a look. I can't remember the cast, but I do know that it was written by um, Jordan Peele as well. Jordan Peele? Yes. No, oh, right. I wanted to say nope, but it's yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. so, I mean, that guy's getting his bloody thumbs in all the pies too. Yeah. Yeah, it's insidious. Yeah, which I don't mind. Like, I'm not particularly enjoying what he's putting out there, but I do like the fact that he's kind of getting into all this weird different stuff. I like Get Out. I just didn't like Nope. Yeah, I didn't like Nope or Us. I liked Get Out as well, but um, yeah. I liked the beginning of Us. (laughs) I thought that was a great opening. Like, that, all that stuff in the house was great. And I love Us. I I love the taste of Us. (laughs) Uh, My next film... 
is another film that played at Monster Fest. Uh, I want to say in, in last year. It's a French film called Lockdown Tower or La Tour, I think was the French title. I think we played it just as ta- as the tower. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> it's this movie. It's it's is set in like a in a French kind of apartment block tower, like a like not so much a commission house, but a but a commission house type thing uh, in the suburbs. And one morning they wake up and the whole tower is surrounded by this black mist. Mm. And anything that goes into the black mist disappears. So you stick your hand in it up to your up to your wrist. Your hand is gone. You, what you pull out is a completely cauterized stump. Awesome. Um, and these people are trapped and they don't know they don't know what's happening. Does that hurt but, them? Does that hurt them when they do that? Uh, it's not really made clear if they, they go into shock. Mm. Whether it's pain, I, I don't know, but yep. um, it's uh, uh, but they don't, yeah, you know, they and the film actually they don't know what's happened, they don't know why it's happening, and it kind of charts the um, the lives of the people living in the tower over like a kind of a, a 30, 40, 50 year period, mm-hmm. and it jumps forward every kind of 10 years and see what to see what's happening. And they, you know, they form gangs on floors and wow. um by religious affiliation and then you know they a cult springs up a religious kind of thing they live off the pets they breed all the pets that are in the apartment building and that's what they eat and you know and more insidious things kind of happen and you know they when they get into gang fights they throw each other into the black mist and stuff like it is a really kind of you know, it's it's if it was done if it was an American film, they would have figured out a way to get out of the mist. It would have been yep. like the mist. Yep, 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 yep. Whereas in this, it's totally nihilistic. Like there is, awesome. it just doesn't go. It, that's just that's just their new existence, and they have to deal with it. Fantastic. Um, it is a yeah. Like I was really impressed by this film. It was really dark, really, and it goes into some it goes into some really really bizarre places that make complete sense within that world, but are still totally shocking and gross. Yeah. And like the, 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 the power of a pitch too, because like just to think of people pitching that as a concept, like who would buy it? Like when you're trying to describe it, I mean, you would have pitched it to me successfully just now, but I can't imer- imagine an American film doing that. It just feels, yeah, yeah it's odd. Yeah. Cool. cool, cool, cool. All right, Ben, we are down to the last two. Yeah, to the last one. Well, yeah. Or two. Last one each. Yes. I'm going to end it on Monster Squad. Classic. Absolute I'm, classic. I'm actually... Monster Squad, I'm glad you mentioned it because I would have been a bit disappointed in us. Yeah. Had, I, like, I am disappointed because Night of the Creeps isn't going to get mentioned, yeah. but Monster Squad and Night of the Creeps are kind of like... Synonymous. You know, <laughs> two films that deserve... That, I, and I think I texted you... Uh, during the day, saying that twenty is just not enough. Yeah. <laughs> like because this is almost like you know your fa- your favorite horror film. Oh. It's it's a real tough one to narrow down to just twenty. You know, mm-hmm. it is. But we've got to think of the people listening, mate. Because <laughs> they so rarely think of us. <laughs> but Monster Squad, it is just a, it's a slice of my childhood. It's just, it, like, I've always described it as. Goonies in a horror world, you know, it's yeah. about kids that take on all the classic universal monsters, except they're not universal monsters because they didn't have the rights. And so you've yeah. got the Wolfman, you got Dracula, you got all these characters that 
kind of look like the Universal Monsters, but not really. Uh, yeah. yeah um, is it uh, Tom Noonan plays Frankenstein, and he is just the best. And John Grease plays the Wolfman. He's great. Of course. Oh my god! It's just such a wonderful film. It's got a great climax. Um, I think it's kid friendly. I would. I mean, I certainly showed my kids this when they were younger. Uh, I was terrified. I remember seeing the standees film pack released it on VHS here. And I remember going to movie land in Oakley and seeing the giant monster <laughs> standee and being, being simultaneously terrified and mesmerized, uh, mesmerized by it. Yeah. Look, and I've got to, I've got to sort of um say, this is actually my final tribute for the show because this has a really, this now has a very strong, important part in my, in my life because I first saw this when I was nine years old. My auntie, Christine, took me to the cinemas to see this, right? And it just lit up my world. It's one of those films that did influence my love of horror. There were a few before it, but this really was an impactful moment. And Christine, my auntie, uh, she passed away only a few months ago. So I thought this is a perfect way to take this episode out because, you know, I loved her to death and she introduced me to some fantastic films. Flatliners was another one. And, um, yeah, so I will now always think of her when I think of Monster Squad, and it's such a great memory to have. Yeah, you really should have uh, had me start this uh, this one so you could end on that. No, no, no. It's now fine. I've got to follow it. Now it's... I've got to follow it with my... <laughs> yeah, with the burden's on you. <laughs> like, uh, but she would have oh, loved that. My last film is uh, Chopping Mall because I like the titties in it. If uh, she was over my shoulder, she'd say, top that, motherfucker. Yeah. Well, my last film is, like, I couldn't... I couldn't have this list without having a Jim Wynorski film in there somewhere. And uh, Chopping Mall, Chopping Mall is my is my uh, final film. I watched it last Chopping. week. Sorry? I watched it last week. You watched it last week. It, it does feature, and I've mentioned Scanners already, it does feature the second greatest head exploding scene in, uh, in movie history. It's got a great cast, including uh, Kelly Maroney and Barbara Crampton. <laughs> And uh, it does have cameos from um, Paul Bartel and, uh, yep. Mary. and uh, Mary Warrenov. Yep. Also, Graham from Phantom of the Paradise is like a security guard. Dick Miller is a is a janitor. It's got a it's got a fantastic cast. It's a you know originally called Killbots, mm-hmm. which makes a hell of a lot more sense. Uh, I can't remember now. It's been a, it's actually been a while since I've seen seen the film. And I can't remember if they do. They've got complete control over the over the building, so they can go up and down the elevators. I can't remember if they if they figure out a way up and down stairs. It's kind of like that Dalek conundrum. That's right. Yeah. Kind of robot dogs. <laughs> They're these, very uh, Dalek like. <clears throat> these kind of robots, uh, but uh, it's a lot of fun. And you know, if if it's if it's Five AM on your Halloween uh, <laughs> watch, and this is the last film. Then you're going out with a bang. You certainly are. You know what inspired me to watch this last week? Though was I actually watched your episode of Video Hoarders, and you kind of think end yeah. that episode on Killbots, um, if I'm not mistaken. Somewhere in there, you talk about it. I'm like, fuck, I haven't watched yeah. that in ages. I'm going to watch that now, and it is such a treat. And I do remember misunderstanding this film when I was young because if, if you're in an Australian video store, the Chopping Mall video, the cover art was like a bag full of guts and body parts. Yeah. And body parts. That's not the film at all. Like it, no. it misrepresents the film completely. Yeah. Um, yeah. What a wonderful – that's it. that to me is a wonderful <clears throat> movie to, to bring this show to a close. Like, good one. I was going to say congratulations on getting through my episode of Video Hoarders. If you make it past the point where I speak French – then uh, you're one up on every other viewer of the show. You know what? Um, I mean, this is a call to action, everybody. Check out Ben's episode of uh, Video Hoarders 
I was amused. It was a, it's a great episode, but I was amused at how seriously you take the subject matter. <laughs> <laughs> which, which you would. Why wouldn't you? We do. Why we do. Well, I think I'm talking about titties and stuff in it too. <laughs> yeah, I, I let the misogyny take hold. <laughs> that was a great series that you happened to produce with Jared as well, so I must put that out there. Um, yeah. Check it out, everybody. Uh, we do other things, you see. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you know it? I try not to any. I try not to anymore. Yeah, this has been a long episode. It's a long haul, but we got there. I'm. I've been thoroughly entertained myself. Whether or not people listening have been, that's another question. But we actually didn't even get to talk. You went to see Sparks. <laughs> I wasn't going to bring that up. A couple of days ago, we didn't even get to talk about that. Well, I did see Sparks that. live, and that was a moment that was like twenty something years in the making for me. Because here's the interesting thing: how your life takes trajectories. I did work experience back in the day at Triple R radio station, right? So I spent a lot of time there and I discovered two bands in the same moment, right? There was like um, a CD here and a CD there. One was Sparks and the other was Ween, right? Wow. So I that day I picked up Ween and I took that home. It was the album God, Ween, Satan and that changed everything for me. Like it really did. And then maybe a week later... I picked up the Sparks one and took that, right? And so I fell in love with both bands that same year. I think it was 1993, if I'm not mistaken. And yeah, so my love of Ween was informed then, but Sparks I've always had a strong soft spot for. And yeah, saw them live in Melbourne at the Palais. And I got to say, it's one of the best shows I've ever seen. And it just boggles my mind how two guys that are approaching 80 years of age have been performing for over 50 years still have the stamina of 20-year-olds and Russell can prance around that stage going fucking heavy for an entire two hours. It just baffles my mind. I mean, I need a nap after I put my socks on, so I don't know how they're doing. <laughs> I'll tell you what, but um, yeah, no, it was wonderful. I'm glad you brought that up in the end. But I do want to leave the show. I've got a question to ask you, right? This is something for you to ponder. I, I discovered this question on TikTok and it had me thinking, and it's a great question. Um, but before I ask it, we'll just tell everybody again, remind you to go to goodmoviemonday.com, click the link to all our social media platforms. Please give us a like, subscribe, um, leave us a comment, all that stuff. We do appreciate your support and thanks to everybody that's participated in this episode. It's great to have Malzi back. But my question to you, Ben, mm -hmm. if Pinocchio said, my nose is going to grow right now, what would happen? Think about that. Yeah, that is a good question, isn't it? Right? If it grows, he's telling the truth. But if it doesn't, he's telling a lie. So then it grows. Yeah. Yeah. So there's no answer to that question. No. But what would actually happen if like, if that I think, was... I think his head would explode. <laughs> the wood would crack. It'd be like, it'd be like um, you know, touching, touching a, the past version of yourself in Time Cop. <laughs> that merge into one and cease to exist <laughs> well there you go that's just the question I want to put out there everyone have a think about that and if you have an actual definitive answer please put it on our socials we'd love to yeah, hear from you <laughs> mate Halloween done our episode is done that was a long one and I enjoyed it thoroughly mate I've actually got my the actual films I'm going to watch on Halloween <laughs> which is right none here. of those <laughs> We're just on two hours know. of fucking recommendations, but I'm not going to watch Halloween. It. It's yeah, funnily enough, it's going to be Halloween. Well, I, look, there's no way I'm watching 20 films on the day. <laughs> like this is like a lead up. This is your you know your 30 days of 31 days of horror. 
I've given you 20 films. This is their preparation for 2024, like motherfucker. But I am going to watch Halloween 2. Yep. And uh, Terror in the Isles. Excellent. That's a great... Uh, That's what I have planned for my Halloween. My uh, Halloween viewing is definitely going to be Phantom of the Mall. So there we go. Oh, the Robert England. Yeah, no, 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 no. That's the Phantom of the Opera. No, it's the other one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's the. Uh, I've, got, I've got the. I've got the Blu-ray, the Phantom of the Terror, of the, the Mall Blu-ray. Vinegar Syndrome put it out. Yes, indeedy, sir. So there we go. End of the show. We're going to leave with a song from the Nightmare on Elm Street soundtrack. It's called Nightmare Three, Two, One. See you next week, Benjamin. Bye. It's a nightmare!